live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you another edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. The full moon shines on this frightful scene as ghosts and goblins lie in wait to hear you scream. Jack-o'-lanterns glow with their eerie light to illuminate this hallowed night. At the witching hour, banshees will wail as black cats hiss and lash their tails. Oh, the time has come for the living to sing, to celebrate the dead, and glorify Halloween! Happy Halloween Rant Army! We're going old school this episode as Stank Dick Eddie and myself revisit the often maligned Halloween 3 Season of the Witch with an in-depth retrospective But the spooky shenanigans do not end there because tonight we also have two awesome bonus reviews courtesy of our good friends Lee McCoy of the incredible YouTube channel Drum Dums and Jimmy O from my favorite website, JoeBlow.com. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Come on down to Mask by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mask by Lance. Go order one now, boy! Yee-hoo! Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Assholes, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. Here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your children. Sell your blood. Go to the Jackoff Clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Want a t-shirt? Want a sticker or a mug to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Rant Army? Well, guess what? Go to Rant Army Surplus. The link is in the description. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! What's up, everybody? This is Lee from Drum Dums. Uh, and Brandon and his rants from the Black Lodge, uh, they're doing Halloween 3 this year. And uh, they were so kind to have me on last year discussing Rob Zombie's Halloween. And uh, I have the privilege of uh, giving you, I guess, a Drum Dums story for Halloween 3. Um, so anyway, this is one of the movies in the franchise that really sticks out to me uh, as far as memories go. Because... And I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. It was the the movie that didn't have Michael Myers. And so I just remember 
I rented this movie, um, probably in the mid eighties, somewhere around there. I know it came out in like 82, but it was around when you could actually rent VHS tapes. And I think that was the first time I saw it. And, uh, I thought that it was a Michael Myers movie. And so I just remember watching it about 45 minutes in, it dawned on me. I was like, okay, I don't think this is a Michael Myers movie. This is a completely different story. Okay. And that was my mindset from that point on. And I was kind of annoyed, you know, because I wanted Myers. I, I big Myers fan even back then. I think I made it as far as to when, um, Ellie and Dan are on the run. And this is a point where Ellie's kind of acting weird because she hasn't said a word. And it's the reveal that she's actually a robot in the car. And I just remember her attacking him over and over and over. You know, it's just one of those scenes where, you know, usually you have one, uh, sneak attack after you think the person's dead. But this particular scene, it felt like there were like four times she, you know, an arm would attack him. Uh, you know, you'd see her face pop into frame, something, but it got annoying to me. So I remember just, I turned it off. I literally, and I never do this. I, I never stop movies, uh, or I rarely stop movies unless, uh, I just can't stand it anymore. And I was just so annoyed at the time that I stopped the movie. So I don't think I watched Halloween three for, I want to say a good, probably to the mid nineties, something like that. You know, I, I gave it another chance. And going into it with the right frame of mind, the next time I watched it, I ended up enjoying it quite a bit. I don't remember if I loved it, but I remember really having a great time and really paying attention to the story this time and getting caught up in the, the spirit of Halloween. Because I think Halloween 3, more than the rest of the franchise, captures the spirit of the holiday and this deranged guy that wants to just kill everyone, uh, you know, every child on the planet via television, you know, and I think there's kind of a message in there, you know, our kids being stuck in front of the TV and uh, how eventually it can be bad for them, you know, turn them into zombies, I guess, and or kill them. You know, if you go by the story of Halloween three, they could have snakes come out of their heads. Who knows? It has grown into like one of my favorite entries in the franchise and it's an annual watch. And it's nice to have something outside of the Michael Myers Saga, you know, something that's a little different because let's say even a Halloween fanatic can get tired of Michael Myers after a while. So it's nice to have that alternative. And, you know, pushing forward to today, I, I still enjoy the movie quite a bit. Love it to death. And uh, I love discussing it. Love the characters in it. Uh, everything about it. It's just a strange movie. You know, it has kind of a weird vibe to it, but in a good way, in a great way, actually. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on Halloween 3. Uh, thank you, Brandon and, uh, Rance from, from the Black Lodge for having me back this year. And, uh, is this going to be an annual thing? I don't know. I guess it could be. Well, I guess we'll see. But, uh, anyway, this is Lee from Drum Dums. Thank you guys so much. And, uh, I hope you guys all have a wonderful, wonderful Halloween season. After the popularity of both Halloween in 1978 and Halloween 2 in 1981, it was far from shocking that we'd see another sequel. But one without Michael Myers? I mean, most of y'all realize that they initially wanted this franchise to tell a Halloween-based story with each film, not necessarily Michael Myers. But 
1982's Halloween 3 season of The Witch kind of helped inform the producers and everyone involved that fans weren't having any of that. However, that was a long time ago. Since then, Season of the Witch has found a whole lot of love with its outrageous kills, the badassness of Tom Atkins, a creepy story, Tom Atkins, and of course, a cool tale with a wicked black sense of humor. Halloween 3 has held up well. It went from being the worst in the series to what many consider one of the strongest sequels in the franchise. Uh, did I mention Resurrection as worst? Yeah. Oh, and of course, there's Tom Atkins. Look, I wasn't a fan of this film with my first viewing. Not at all. Where the fuck is Michael? But watching it now, this atmospheric B-movie needs to be revisited. It's goofy. It's cool. It's scary. It's nightmarish. And that freaking ending is brilliant. Certainly, if this film had simply been released as Season of the Witch, it would likely be far more appreciated by horror fans at the time. This includes, you know, myself and my first viewing. I find myself revisiting this campy cult classic more often than not. A child with a mask, having bugs and creepy crawlies crumbing out of a skull? Hell yeah. A weird villain that has very devious plans? Fucking A. Oh, and did I happen to mention Tom Atkins? Check. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, took time to connect to fans, but since its release, it's become a nice change of pace for the popular Halloween films. And don't forget that catchy Silver Shamrock jingle. Special thanks to the awesome crew at Rants from the Black Lodge for inviting me to get my two cents on this underrated flick. I'm Jimmy O, and you can find my work at JoeBlow.com, We Live Entertainment, and on the streaming channel Cosm with the long-form interview series Sound Scary with my co-host Ryan Coltrera and the stoner-centric podcast Something Stony with my stony friend Justin Butts. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween. That's right, kids. Let's get into the spirit of horror with the season of the witch. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Visit our website at monstersmadnessandmagic.com to stay up to date on all the dark dealings within the sanctuary of the strange. Enjoy the show. Since the third episode of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, there has been a constant defense of the film that we're going to be exploring tonight with an in-depth retrospective. That film, of course, is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Now, I can't think of a better person to engage in the war of words with than the co-host who started it all, a man with a voice so velvety smooth you could drag your balls across it all day long and not get one lick of friction. However, the stench of that unwashed genitals could gag a maggot. Rant Army, it is with great pleasure we welcome back Stank Dick Eddie. Stank Dick, Stank Dick, Stank Dick. I like to think my, my dick doesn't stink as much as that, but it, it, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's nasty. <laughs> Brandon knows firsthand. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it, smelled it, I won't touch it. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but never mind, I can't do that anymore. So. Uh, all right. So uh, before we get uh, get going, I, I want to kind of talk about how we got to this point. Um, 
Halloween 3 was the first episode that you and I did together. It's the third episode of this podcast we did back in 2017. It's now 2021. I think we did it on your phone, didn't we? We did on my phone. <laughs> a lot has changed since then. Um, but the point I want to make is that uh, Halloween 3 has sort of been uh, a motivating factor in this podcast from the get-go. It spurred so many of the things that have become... Uh, reoccurring segments, and we'll get into Tom Atkins uh, a little later on, but, you know, holy fuck. Thrill me. <laughs> Thrill me, Tom fucking Atkins. He's uh, he's like the, the guardian angel of the podcast. Um, but leading up, uh, the beginning of, I guess, uh, was it this year? Uh, I guess we decided uh, that we were going to go back and do some of the older episodes and give them a, a new uh, fresh coat of paint in the new retrospective style that we've been doing. Um, why do you? What do you think about like the the evolution of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast from 2017 to 2021? It's a completely different beast. It's it's different. I think it was originally it was just us kind of having fun and goofing off watching stuff, and then it turned into something a lot bigger. And uh, just listen to the last couple episodes, like uh, the Cannon Cup was, was awesome. And uh, going back and even doing, I think we did, what the Rob Zombies Halloween was like one of the last ones I was on with you. Uh, it, it's evolved to this awesome monster. Well, um, and, and that has allotted us uh, the opportunity. We're, you know, we're doing two episodes a month now, so we're kind of doing the best of both worlds, where Rants After Dark is basically what the podcast started off being, just, you know, dumbasses riffing on a movie. And we get to talk a little more in depth, and that's what we're going to be doing tonight. But before we get into that, we've got to talk about the offspring, the afterbirth, if you will, of Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, and that being our sister podcast, Wrestling Ruined. Um, Eddie, Wrestling Ruined, pretty much a success right out the gate. Yeah, we lucked out, man. We, You and me were kind of talking uh, about like t- terrible years of wrestling, like what we could do, and then like we like unanimously were like ninety five is the worst fucking year of wrestling. <laughs> so we we started right out the gate, and then uh, we had that hiccup where you know the WWE Network became you know onto Peacock. We we're like, what are we gonna do? And then we found out we were like like number sixty five on the iTunes charts, and then we were recently right back in the top two hundred last this this past week. So yeah, for our, our WrestleMania eleven episode, uh, we're not going to dwell on wrestling ruin too much. I, I know some uh, members of the Ran Army are. are not exactly uh, wrestling fans and trust me guys i'm right there with you and you're wrong (laughs) no no (laughs) they're they're mostly right they're mostly right but um all the same i'm glad that you're here tonight um and i'm looking forward to exploring the film at hand which is halloween 3 season of the witch and we're gonna go way deeper than we did in our you know just you know riffing shenanigans so i think this is a justified effort and i guess we'll find out as we continue on Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, was released October 2nd, 1982. So it's coming up on its uh, 40th anniversary, wow. uh, uh, basically in a year. Uh, that doesn't seem like it was that long no. ago, but man, that's crazy. The budget was an estimated $2.5 million. Now, if you adjust that for inflation, it comes to $7,072,616.58. Still a monumentally small amount of money. Um, Even by there, today's there, I mean, There's TV shows that are made, you know, singular episodes that are made with a higher budget than that. Um, worldwide gross, $14,400,000. Now, adjust that for inflation. That comes to 
$738,271.50. We'll break down the numbers a little more when we get into our stiff competitions uh, segment. But this may not have been the big bomb that everybody uh, thinks it is. Financially, just hearing those numbers, that definitely sounds like it was a success in my book. If you had to take a shot in the dark, what do you think the IMDb rating is for Halloween 3? Well, people shit on this movie, so I'm going to say it's low. I'm going to say it's probably a 4.8. You're close. 5 out of 10 uh, on uh, IMDb. Uh, Metacritic has it at a 50 out of 100, so pretty much people are split right down the middle. Rotten, why. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> We're definitely going to be uh, diving deep into uh, the reasons why people dislike this movie and why they're wrong. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think it's sitting at? I'd say a 38. You're close, 41% with an audience score of 27, which I found kind of surprising because I would uh, usually the audience score is higher uh, than the critic score for movies that are, you know, kind of a little more in the gray area of entertainment quality, you know, and they have their, they have their fans, but you know, the critics are going to pick them apart. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised by that. And Halloween three has been given a reappraisal over the years. And that's even more surprising that there hasn't been a glut of people going back and sort of giving this movie its due, but, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is what it is. It's a cesspool. Fuck them. Yeah, fuck, fuck <laughs> them. However, our friends at Shudder were a little more kind with a 4.2 out of 5. For my money, that I would probably put that somewhere in the butter zone. I'd probably give it maybe a 4 out of 5. I'm not going to neglect that point two or anything that they, they've given it, but to me, I, I think it's it's not perfect, but... For what it is, it's pretty good. I'd say 3.8 out of 5. God, you're just hinged on that 3.8. <laughs> Ratings, brother. Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you think the Google users of the of the world have given this film? It's a percentage, correct? That's Google correct, users. out of 100. Uh, I'd, I'd say probably... The Google's always so weird. It's maybe 65. God, you're, made, you're, you're really good about this. 62%. <laughs> right, Pretty much right on the money. However, the only review that actually matters is the Rant Army review. So what I did, I go into our Facebook group, which you can happily join if you're not already a member. Uh, Find us at Rants Black Lodge on Facebook. And I just posed a question. Halloween 3 good, Halloween 3 bad. What do you think our Rant Army, our brethren, scored Halloween 3 at? It's so divisive, I don't know. I don't know. Ninety three percent. I'm really shocked that they rated it that high. Uh, no, there 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 were some uh there were some very staunch naysayers, but I, I was very happy to see that people have hit this movie with a sort of what I feel long overdue praise. Or at the very least acknowledgement. On Fat Tony's hit list, this is where this is going to be a fucking roller coaster ride of explanation throughout the the process but we have eight on-screen human deaths but if you include the list of androids it goes up to 28 <laughs> the list goes up to 29 if you include Ellie we'll talk about that later um the number goes up again if you take into account that Dr. Chalice is possibly unsuccessful in getting the Silver Shamrock commercial pulled so 
if you put those all together, that's potentially millions of, of people that die in this movie. Gallows humor, if you ask me, <laughs> really good stuff. Now, we'll nail down exactly just uh, how many when we get to our victim section later in the retrospective. But on Stank Dick Eddie's titty tally, this is where it gets really, really convoluted and frustrating. Technically, you see Stacy Nelkin's left breast but she had a no-nipple clause in her contract. So they had to go about these super convoluted ways of getting around that, you know, holding the towel, but you still see everything. And then there's the part where she's in bed with, uh, with Dr. Dan Chalice putting the moves on her, and her hand is cupping. And I swear, I swear to God that there is a point where you can see the nipple, but I don't know if that's just my brain willing it into existence or if it's just a shadow or if my dick is doing the talking, I don't. I don't know. What say you, Stank Dick Eddie? I like to think in my mind her titties are out in that movie. Uh, I feel like they should have put in the contract if Tom Atkins can show his balls and she <laughs> show her nipples, it offset. That's only fair. It's only fair that uh, do something for the ladies, uh, and and I have to imagine that would have added millions to the gross if word got out that Tom Atkins is hanging brain in Halloween Three. Man, you mean to but- tell me Tom Atkins is, has a nuts hanging out this google score <laughs> the google didn't even exist but they would have found it in earlier just just that would have been like article number one that's an Atkins fact <laughs> coming up my friends um titties or no this episode is going to be a wild ride and there's no better place to start than by checking out the stiff competition of 1982 now state to getty if you'd be so kind to read off our list of films that came out in 82. 82 of the horror genre. Alone in the Dark, Amityville 2, The Possession, Basket Case, The Beast Within, Cat People, Creep Show, The Dorm That Dripped Blood, Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, The House on Sorority Row, Invitation to Hell, The Last Horror Film, The New York Ripper, Parasite, Pieces, Poltergeist, Q the Winged Serpent, Slumber Party Massacre, a Stranger is Waiting. Dario Argento's... Watching. Watching. Oh, excuse me. Learn a Stranger to... is Watching. Learn... <laughs> I saw Dario Argento and my, I popped. So, <laughs> Dario Argento's Tenebre. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and Visiting Hours. That is some stiff competition. I absolutely agree with you. And a shout out to um, Jack Shoulder because um, uh, we just got a brand new Blu-ray edition of Alone in the Dark. I actually just got my copy yesterday. It is it is very, very nice. And uh, Shout Factory, uh, or Scream Factory, uh, retweeted that. They, they did. I'm uh, very, very happy about that. Um, so, Halloween 3, where do you think, like, we're in the, say, like, top 10, where do, you, where do you think Halloween is? Is it in the top 10? Is it not? If it is, it's going to be lower. It's going to be, like, number 8 or 9. Just looking at some of these, like, blockbusters, Poltergeist, and then you got uh, Creepshow, uh, Friday the 13th, and 3D. There's, there's a lot of heavy hitters on this one. All right. Well, coming in at number five, we have Halloween three. Really, with fourteen million four hundred thousand dollars. So, just in that regard, horror was the redheaded stepchild at the time. So, saying that oh, it was the the fifth highest grossing horror film of nineteen eighty two probably doesn't hold the same weight as it would now because horror films are just you know usually runaway successes. Um, because people were always looking for a scare, but it was a different world back then. And we were in the middle of the slasher uh, boom 
and Halloween 3 was sort of an outlier, but still top yeah. five. Number four, John Carpenter's The Thing with $19,632,053. Coming at number three, one of my all-time personal favorites, Creep Show, $21,632,053. Uh, number two, Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Coming at $36 million. $690,067. And number one is obvious. It's Poltergeist. <laughs> with $77,142,388. I'm really curious what the... Uh if if you put that in today numbers, what how much money that movie made? I didn't look it up, but that's that's going to be a lot, uh, well over a hundred million dollars. Um, very, big time, big time success story. Love you, Toby Hooper. R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, uh, Halloween three in recent years has been reevaluated as somewhat of a minor classic, depending on who you ask, of course. But that hasn't always been the case. Uh, hell, there is still a very vocal contingent online who stand ready to demonize the Michael Myerless sequel to no end. Um, to understand their very vocal ire and outrage, we got to take a step back in time, and we'll figure out how we got. Two Seasons of the Witch. So let's go from page to screen. 1978. Halloween. I mean... Yeah, so fucking good. Uh, <laughs> um, it's We can't under understate how important Halloween... I mean, you're wearing a Halloween t-shirt uh, as we uh, record this, but uh, Halloween, all-time classic. Yes. Period. It, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely... my Not just top five horror movies for me, it's top five movie for me. Uh, I've I've been lucky enough to have seen it several times in the theater. Um, Central Cinema, our good buddies at Central Cinema, are showing it uh, several times uh, this coming month. Um, We're gonna I, have to go at least uh, once. Yeah, I know, <laughs> if not more. Um, but it, it's just one of those films that it's multi generational. It's every every bit of lauding has been given uh, for everything it spurned and everything that it is. I mean, it's all earned. It's just a masterpiece of, of cinema, and it was inevitable it was going to spur a sequel. So before we get to that, we got to talk about uh, Friday the 13th very briefly. So this little film called Friday the 13th came out in 1980, and then all of a sudden the world blew up with slasher films. So between 78 and 81, you had sort of like the, the fuse was lit, but then 80 – it blew up, and all the, the children of uh, Halloween and Friday the 13th, they just permeated, especially in 1981, which is where we got Halloween 2. Um, how do you feel about Halloween 2? We talked about it before, where I, I feel like, you know, they, the whole sister storyline kind of it, it made it a problematic later on. Um I mean, it's a good movie. I still, I still enjoy the original more so than the second one. Uh, however, when you go to find merchandise, it's a lot easier to find Halloween two merchandise than it is to find Halloween one merchandise. Well, that's all because of uh, Universal. Universal having the the rights to Halloween two and Halloween three, and uh, they also now have the rights to the series going forward. 
um, because of uh, rights reverting and everything, because Dimension like, yeah, yeah. folded or Miramax or whatever. Fuck you, Weinstein. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> um, Harvey Weinstein getting a pineapple shoved up his ass in prison and then in hell one day. <laughs> um But yeah, Halloween 2, uh, to me, if you watch Halloween 1 and 2 back to back, it's a really satisfying experience. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of a conclusive end. So by the time Halloween 2 uh, had come out, John Carpenter has pretty much divorced himself from the Halloween series. You know, he's gone off to doing bigger and better things. Obviously, the thing. people talk about how big a bomb The Thing was, but I mean, it's it's in the top five horror films of 1992 as well. Um, there's just one big problem. Halloween 2 was a huge, huge, huge success. And so it was inevitable that there was going to be a sequel. Um, tasked with continuing the series, this uh, it left us without our main antagonist. And this spurred them into this like y- unique, interesting direction that um, people have uh, very, very uh, maligned for so often. And um, Halloween 3 aside, um, could the direction of Halloween 3 being an anthology film... Could this have worked? Yes and no. I think just with the idea of constantly having a new story, um, and like you were saying, at the end of Halloween 2, you, you, you get your conclusion. You have the, the entire Halloween night in the, into November 1st taken care of because it's the whole – it's more of the night he came home in part two. So – I think you could. I mean, there's always. I mean, you, you pretty much have fucking aliens in this movie, and uh, and, and androids, uh, and then you know you could have done something else where you could have had. I mean, it, when you start breaking it down, you start thinking of stuff. I know you don't really care for um, American Horror Story, but eventually you're going to start getting to the the realm of some of that stuff. American Horror Story is a, <laughs> a, is a complete topic for a different day. Um, to me, Halloween Three is an interesting idea. is a is a it's a jumping off point. But whenever you're numbering something, there is somewhat of a an inherent nature to expect a continuation of story. Now, I know the 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 big argument is like, well, if they just released this as Season of the Witch, it would have done better, and that very well may have been the case. I. I don't know that that's necessarily true in the financial sense because I think the Halloween that's name is what sold it. But as far as like garnering an, a bigger audience over time, that's probably true. However, um, what do you think if they had released this movie as Halloween colon Season of the Witch? Would that have helped with the... I, I completely agree, though, where you're saying like if you if you put the, you know, the Roman numerals three on Halloween three... You're expecting to go see Michael Myers, and it's not like now where you can hop on your phone and watch a fucking trailer and like, oh, so this movie doesn't have Michael Myers in it at all. But even though the tagline is the night no one came home, yeah. uh, but people aren't, you know, looking at that. They're looking at, they see Halloween 3, they're like, well, we fucking enjoyed part one, we fucking enjoyed part two, I want more of that. Um, but I think, like, just kind of like how it is now, it would have developed a following, but... Going back to what you said, I mean, I think the Halloween 3 tagline on there is what sold the movie to make as much money as it did. You and I both love Halloween 3. I don't think that's a secret. But in the boom and the height of the slasher era, they they obviously made the wrong call in terms of financial success. Had Michael Myers been in Halloween 3, like if this had just been basically what 
Halloween 4 was, but in 1982, do you think that Michael would have taken the top spot away from like Freddy and Jason as the decade's most popular slasher? Or was he always sort of in line to be, you know, arguably number two or number three? Well, my mind, he's always been number one. But financially, when you break down how much money Friday and, and even Nightmare on Elm Street made in the 80s, uh, I, I think, honestly, they, it would I think it would have fizzled out faster. I think the break, the break from bringing Michael back from here to there, it uh, it, it worked. Um, I think more so just because they pissed so many people off with this movie. But I, I don't think it would have, in the long run, it would have helped them. Yeah, I think it would have killed the franchise off sooner. Uh, it definitely persisted in the 90s where uh, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and other slasher series waned. And you're probably right on that end. But at, at, from the perspective of, you know, everybody was clamoring for Freddy versus Jason. No one was wanting, like, there yeah. was never, like, on the school bus, like, hey, I want to see Freddy and Michael Myers or Jason and Michael Myers. Like, you may have heard that on occasion, but that wasn't the the toe line. So from a market marketability standpoint, I think that had Halloween 3 been basically what they did with Halloween 4, uh, Michael would have been right in the mix more so than he was, but I mean, he was putting up numbers. He was putting baskets up in the nineties when, uh, Freddie and Jason were on the bench. Exactly. However, if, if that would have been the case, we may have avoided the whole resurrection deal. So, oh man, well, <laughs> <laughs> let's rebook this entire era. <laughs> Um, bad business decisions aside, Halloween 3 was set in motion by Carpenter, who would not be back in the writer's chair, but he had a suitable replacement in, line, in mind. Uh, producer Deborah Hill had this to say about her and uh, John's choice of writer. We love this guy, Nigel Neal, who had written the Quatermass movies, so he wanted to work with him. You ever seen the Quatermass movies? Um very influential in terms of like uh, combining horror and science fiction. I mean, you can just the these films they were made by Hammer. It started off as a television series uh, around the same time as Doctor Who, and it's missing some episodes. So it's one of those like holy grails of like lost media. But most people know the Quatermass movies, for, you know, the Hammer produced ones, and you watch them and you really get a sense of like holy shit. This is like the blueprint of a lot of what Carpenter has done throughout his career. Um, the The way that Neil came aboard and subs subsequently exited the project is a whole ordeal in itself. Now, let me detour, and we'll try and figure our way back into it. So originally, Halloween 3 was going to be directed by none other than Joe Dante, uh, director of Gremlins 1 and 2, The Howling, Interspace, and like a dozen other really good movies. Uh, Dante approached Nigel Neal to write the film while Neal was temporarily living in Hollywood, working on a movie that was never produced, which was going to be the Creature of the Black Lagoon remake, directed by John Landis. Ooh. Man, I would have loved God. that to fucking happen, but, you know, Hollywood dumbasses. Um, Neil wrote a treatment, and they really, really liked what he did for Halloween 3. Um, but due to some scheduling issues, Joe Dante moved on to another project. How different would this movie have been with a Joe Dante who has a really, really um, comical slant to a lot of the things he did. Do you think that would have been a good mix? I think for the time, yeah. I do. Um, and you were saying, you know, mentioning John Landis. I mean, you got you had movies like uh, 
American Werewolf in, in London coming out. There's comedy elements to it, and there's some really weird fucked up stuff in that movie too. But I, I think it would have worked. I think it would have been a nice detour from what they had set with one and two to make it kind of different. It's different enough, but even more different. The, we'll get into it as we go on, but Halloween 3 is a really, really cynical movie, and that's one of the things I really like about it. So for my money, I, I feel like some of those elements would not be present if Joe Dante had directed it. I mean, they may be present, but they would be a lot more lighthearted and not as sharp as they end up being when Tommy Lee Wallace takes over the production. So I, I'm kind of split on this because I love Joe Dante. There's literally no jo- Joe Dante movie that I don't own a and don't like. So that's more I can say than Tommy Lee Wallace. No disrespect to the man. <laughs> but I also think that if he had come on board, he would have probably retooled the script considerably. So it wouldn't even be the same movie. So... Who knows what it would have ended up being. Uh, with Dante exiting the project, Carpenter suggested longtime collaborator Tom Lee Wallace to take the director's chair. Well, we'll talk about Tommy as we continue in a few minutes. But in terms of directing, um, he also played a big hand in the script, and he rewrote quite a bit of it. And uh, this change in the script completely pissed off Nigel Neal so much that he asked his name to be taken off the film. Wow. Yeah, this is this is a, a huge point of contention of like, A, who's responsible for what, uh, the tone of the movie, uh, content, all, all across the board. Um, was this the first indication that Halloween 3 was snake bit or like the Silver Shamrock? Was this a lucky break? Uh, we'll let you out there in the Rain Army decide. But first, Eddie, if you'd be so kind to read the Halloween 3 Season of the Witch synopsis. When a terrified toy salesman is mysteriously attacked and brought to the hospital, babbling and clutching the year's most popular Halloween costume, an eerie jack-o'-lantern mask, Dr. Dan Chalice, Tom Atkins, is thrust into a terrifying Halloween nightmare. Working with the salesman's daughter, Ellie, Stacey Nelkin, Dan traces the mask to the Silver Shamrock Novelties Company and its founder, Colonel Cochran. Ellie and Dan uncover Cochran's shocking Halloween plan and must stop him before trick-or-treaters across the country are kept from ever coming home in this terrifying thriller from writer-slash-director Tommy Lee Wallace. Very apropos. And uh, the point uh, where it says something about him being uh, thrust into things, uh, he thrust himself into Ellie later on. Oh! Oh, there's boobies. I know there is. <laughs> he wasn't the first choice for Season of the Witch, but he may have been the only man to wrangle its pagan chaos. Following in the footsteps of John Carpenter and Rick Rosenthal, respectively, Halloween 3 is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, he also directed Fright Night 2. Nowhere near as good as the first movie, but oh, the first one's so good. But but you know it's got its moments. I mean, anytime you get Roddy McDowell back in the in the fray, it's going to be good stuff. He directed the 1990 miniseries of Stephen King's It. Um, man, it, people love it, and I love elements about it. Uh, but it is very much of its time, and uh, I know uh, people are crazy about the new It movies, and uh, and I yeah. I still, I still haven't watched them, so I'm not that crazy about it. I, they're, they're fine. They're fine. It's just a, as an adaptation of the book, which to me is the scariest novel ever written. They both fall short, but I do have nostalgic feelings for the 1990 It. I, did you watch it when it when it debuted? Or not when it you? debuted. I, I bought it on a double tape oh, VHS. Yeah. Mm. 
Good times. No, I, I remember uh, watching it when it came out, and I um, mean that was legit scary shit. Um, oh, how the times have changed. <laughs> but, you know, I was like six years old and, and staying up. I remember that first night and like not being able to sleep. It, it really, really fucked me. Um, he also directed Vampire's Los Muertos starring John Bon Jovi. So seek that out, everybody. God, I, mean, I was just about to say, like, I love the first Vampire's <laughs> movie so much. It's so bad. <laughs> Yeah, poor uh, poor Tommy Lee Wallace. It kind of never got out of the uh, the shadow of John Carpenter. Truly, uh, Halloween Three is Tommy's directing debut, and despite its reputation at the time, uh, I'm so glad that he wasn't blackballed because of the poor reception of Halloween Three. Because he's gotten to continue to direct for, for quite a few years now. In fact, he's got a new film out any time called Helloversity. Uh, so it's like university, but it's hell. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I'm definitely going to check this out when it comes out. It's, it sounds like too dumb of an idea to, to not be good. Um, Tommy had actually been offered the directing chair for Halloween 2, um, but he turned it down. And through some co- coercing, uh, the stars aligned, and he would be persuaded to come aboard for Halloween 3. Tommy had this to say about his reluctant journey to the director's chair. It's a real riddle how we got to Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. When the concept of Halloween 2 came along, I just hated it, and I withdrew from the project. I was in New York when Deborah Hill called me and said, Hey, we're going to do Halloween 3. Would you think about being the director? It was a godsend because I had been worried all along that our paths had just split and we weren't going to get back together. And when she said, It's not going to be a real sequel. It's not going to have anything to do with the other two. I said, I'm in. Now, we've covered the whole Nigel Neal debacle, for better or for worse. Uh, It's Tommy Lee Wallace who has his fingerprints all over Halloween 3. So when the other shoe dropped, he ultimately was the one who got the blame for Halloween 3 nearly killing the cash cow. He had this to say about its critical and box office failure. There was a horrible backlash. It was crushing for me because it was perceived as a flop. It was a complete bomb in its day. It made no money. It pissed off a lot of Halloween fans. It should have been released as Season of the Witch. No association whatsoever with the Halloween franchise, and I believe it may have found its audience. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. and um, But for the, the people who revile everything that is Halloween 3, um, to be fair... Those people have numbers on their side. Season of the Witch made money, but it wasn't like this runaway success like the first two films were. But the bigger question is, who is to blame for the failure of Halloween 3? So, was this just a bad idea, or was this a bad promoted, badly promoted good film? It's it's hard. for My, my argument is it's probably somewhere in the middle well, especially at this time, you're you're rolling out. You already you just had Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, so you already got a slasher that that's delivering, and they're putting a third one out. So they know about the third one, and you're you're putting out this franchise as the third one of, of Halloween, but you're not going to deliver with Michael Myers. So I I agree with you. I'm kind of in the middle with this. Yeah, but at the same time, like, don't you think that like I know audiences are different now. Like we've been exposed to to a wider variety of types of films, more so than like any other generation, just because of streaming and you know the internet has just given us so much interconnectivity. But some of the blame has to go to the people for greenlighting this movie. 
It's a great idea. I'm not going to knock them for having an idea about a mask maker wanting to kill children. That sounds fucking awesome. But they 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 banked on a name, on selling it on the name, and then they didn't do anything beyond that to hook people into saying, well, maybe this is still a good movie. So I feel like the the advertising for this movie, like if you go back and watch the trailer, um, it, it does not do a good job of accurately depicting like what Halloween 3 is all about. And sometimes deceptive marketing can be a, a benefit. Uh, the new uh, Halloween kills trailer i've been i've been very negative about it not that it looks bad because it gives so much away and the 80s was sort of a a mixed bag of like uh watch the original friday the 13th trailer they fucking show you the entire movie with the exception of the you know the the major twist but then there's also like just the the art of uh, a teaser trailer the exorcist the exorcist has one of the best teaser trailers ever so good so good um, I feel like the marketing department didn't understand this movie, but it, some of that has to fall on them for, for greenlighting it in the first place. Yeah, you can't put all the blame on, on just Tommy Lee Wallace because you had so many other hands in the in the you know, cooking this movie. And just to be like, well, he was the one that directed it, he's fuck him. It's his fault. That's bullshit. Because they had to have known that there would have been some kind of backlash. That you you kind of you'd have to. I don't know. Sometimes I think people get so they they get so used to the smell of their own shit that you know they they can't. Uh, it's so vast. The fumes are so dense that they can't even see beyond them. And that's just dumb dumb corporate corporate uh, ideology in the begin with. The frustrating part about this is hearing what people say. As he you know says it was a it was a flop. But when you look at how much money it made, to me that's still not a flop. It didn't make. You know the amount of money that the first Halloween movie or the second one made, but it still made well over its. But it didn't. It didn't go in the hole. Is what no, I'm I mean, like, even after like the advertising budget, which I guarantee was very, very slim, this movie was a money maker. So even like if they had, um, which was probably would have been a bad idea, um, if they had made Halloween four and it would have been you know another anthology film, it probably would have made its money back. Oh yeah, and a a hefty profit, but not. The uh, quadruple budgeted profit that you know Halloween and Halloween Two projected. So it, it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. You know these people put up the money, so they want to see maximum return on that. But at the same time, you greenlit the film, so it is what it is. Now, what I would argue ultimately is that this was a good idea at the absolute wrong time, and. My opinion doesn't hold any weight. However, Tommy Lee Wallace has continually defended his film and pointed the finger at Universal for failing to advertise the movie properly. He had this to say, Our thinking makes great sense. It's a real money-making idea, and everybody somehow just dropped the ball, including Universal Studios. That is, each year, let's come out with a new movie on the subject of Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, and all that goes with it. It could go in any direction it wants. Each one can spin off of its own uh, number of sequels. Now tell me, is that not a great uh, fertile idea to make money for the rest of time? Now the the debate's going to continue forever, but let's not dwell on the bad. Uh, Let's move on to the positives. Now you and I love Halloween 3, and there's so many things about it that I think that are just interesting and just uh, absolutely quantifiably good, you know, objectively good. I mean, we have to trace that back to Tommy Lee Wallace. So let's talk about some of the positives of Halloween 3. Um, let's start off with the mask. Oh, yes. 
it's such an iconic Im- image. Um, it's it's actually the now in terms of the marketing of the movie, it's the entirety of it. Um, Halloween three has been given mer- more merchandise than a lot of the the more successful films, and that has to be a credit to them uh, knowing that there's people out there who want Halloween three stuff. But at the same time, do you kind of wonder like, is it just because they own the IP and they're like, well, fuck, throw it out there and see what happens? But I mean, they released those awesome NECA box set with the the, the, the three <laughs> three kids. Um, uh, the the mask uh, individually are you know, available for purchase. Street Street Studios, which they were. The uh, Skull and the Witch were existing masks that Don Post had created, and the pumpkin was like the the one that they made specifically for the movie as sort of a uh, kind of a brand synergy kind of thing. Like, yeah, we put your mask in our movie, and then you make the money off the the, the thing. But like, what do you what do you think about the mask? Like, oh, it, love them. I, I love I love the masks in this movie. Um, that's the one thing that kind of sold me the very first time I ever watched the movie. I was like, these masks look fucking cool. Because just like you, I mean, I've always been a collector of shit. So whenever Halloween comes around, whenever we could go to Kmart or go to Hills, <laughs> uh, places that don't longer exist. Showing your age. I know. But you'd get excited, man, because you'd have this section and you'd have nothing but, you know, Halloween, you know, horror movie tapes. And they'd be like five bucks a pop. And you're like, fuck yeah, five bucks. I'm going to buy me some fucking horror movies. But like the mass, as a, when I first watched this movie, it's like that's one of the, the drawing factors for me was how cool they looked. And then once again, seeing them on Trick or Treat Studios now, I want to buy all of them. I just don't have room for them. I know oh, you, well, deport deport your children to, uh, <laughs> to, to another residence and maybe you have room for them. Um, I didn't realize this up until I started doing research for this. And the in-universe reason why Halloween 3 is called Halloween 3 is because these are the three Halloween masks that are going to reap the the field of humanity. I think that's probably too smart um, to, to go over and to, you know, for, to land with like general audiences, but having, having that kind of spelled out, I'm like, man, why did I never think about that? It's, it's kind of genius. Um, it it ju- it almost justifies the title, which I think is one of the elements that Tommy Lee Wallace brought to the script. Is like, okay, if this movie has nothing to do with the first two, how do we justifiably call it Halloween Three? Okay, well, there's these three masks, and they're going to fucking kill you know the kids of you know the United States and uh, perhaps other parts of the world. I don't know how big the Silver Shamrock Corporation is. I don't know if they got factories in in Cal- huge. in Calcutta or you know, or whatever. Um, one of the uh, things I, I think is a positive, uh, but it's sort of a uh, – a, a, the argument could definitely be made that it's more of a negative, is the Silver Shamrock jingle. Sing it, Eddie! <laughs> happy, happy Halloween, 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 happy, happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. <laughs> Fuck that jingle. <laughs> you you never forget it, though. No, no, it did its job. Um, and And – Originally, they they were going to compose a a like original jingle for this, but I guess when they got into the position of like time and budget, uh, they decided that they would take a public domain song, which is London Bridge, and they just took the lyrics and put it to the melody. So um, I'm not sure how this works um, because the melody is not copyrighted. 
could you then can you is this song copyright? I don't know how this shit like works. Their version of, their it version of it. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I guess don't, you couldn't. You couldn't because with the with the because the, mel- the melody the, is the melody. public domain. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Truth too tight, Billy. Um, more so than um. Even the original, I feel like that Halloween 3 really celebrates the holiday of Halloween more so than really any of the other movies. And the, it's a cool thing, go back to the mask. The mask have become in continuity with the original series now because yes. they have uh, were in Halloween 2018. And, and Halloween Kills. Yes, uh, spoiler. Them kids oh, get no. they get offed <laughs> about fucking time. <laughs> also, speaking of the mass, Don Post also was the original creator of, uh, I believe, the original Michael Myers mask that they used. Uh, yeah, well, he even before that, uh, the 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 Captain Kirk yeah, that's, mask yeah. that based off of William Shatner and everything comes full circle. I think they probably end up having to make this deal with Don Post yeah. because they ended up. Um, stealing his intellectual property. I mean, they altered it, but I mean, come on, it it is what it is. Yeah. But no one at the time expected Halloween to become this big juggernaut. You know, like ah, twelve people will see this, and if we get sued, um, well, that's the uh, Trancus International yeah, or whatever. <laughs> so, like other things, like what, what are some of the things that like that you really like about Halloween Three? Um, the actors aside, like just the uh, like the, the the whole. Just the vibe of the whole movie, it's, it's dark. It feels like a horror movie. It doesn't, it doesn't just feel like, you know, like with like a slasher movie, you know, you have those elements where you kind of get the, you know, this and that. It just feels like a straight horror movie. Uh, along with that, but the soundtrack is fucking awesome. Oh, as well. it's so good. Uh, Alan Howarth and, yeah. and John Carpenter, uh, long, long time, time collaborators. And I. I'm I'm gonna piss off a lot of people right here, but I think my favorite uh, soundtrack of the entire Halloween franchise is Halloween Threes. That electronic synth music. Um, I don't know what it is about it, but it just it puts me on the edge of my seat. It it elevates the the fear and the tenseness of those moments, like when um uh the, like towards the end of the movie when. Um, Chalice is trying to, you know, get to the, the, uh, not the guard station, the, um, the mechanics, uh, hub or whatever. And he's trying to call like the music leading up to that is just, it fucking swells. Even at the very beginning when they're doing the chase scene with, with Ellie's dad and, um, He's running and he's doing a shitty job hiding, <laughs> but he's running and, and it kind of gives you the vibe of the movie. I was just thinking about this. It kind of reminds me of uh, Christine, which I know is a Carpenter movie. Yes. Um, but just the whole vibe, the the atmosphere, very similar to me. Every time makes my butthole pucker. Every time, uh, like a broken record for the past forty years, we've heard Halloween three sucks because Michael Myers isn't in it. I will postulate that our next topic of discussion might just be the reason that Mikey didn't have the sack to show up in Season of the Witch. That reason is none other than the Silver Fox, mustached, masculine man. The one, the only, Tom fucking Atkins. <laughs> Thrill me. 
<laughs> um, as Dr. Dan Chalice. Um, long career in Hollywood, still acting to this day. He was in the Ninth Configuration, Escape from New York. He was in The Fog with Jamie Lee Curtis, who was in Trading Places with Dan, Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted. He was in The New Kids uh, with uh, a very, very young, hot, pre-Selinger um, uh, kids out to get him into college. Lori Loughlin. Mwah! Um, Night of the Creeps. Say it. Thrill me. Thrill me. <laughs> Masterpiece. Um, Lethal Weapon. One of the biggest, you know, movies of the 1980s, and he's fucking tremendous in it. Um, by the way, you know who else is in Lethal Weapon? Who? Mitchell Ryan, who was Dr. Wynn in The Curse of Michael Myers. So there's your se- second degrees of he's- Halloween connections. Um, he was in Maniac Cop with Bruce Campbell. Love, love you, Bill Lustig. We just did uh, Maniac, not Maniac Cop. We just Maniac on Rants After Dark. Um, so go in the archive and check that out. He was in Two Evil Eyes. He was in an episode of Oz with Ernie Hudson, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. And he was in the remake of My Bloody Valentine. Now, last but certainly not least, he reteamed with Stacey Nelkin for a short film called Polybius just last year. So, very active. I mean, the guy's getting, you know, a little long in the tooth, and we're ho- hopefully we'll be able to hold on to his mustached machismo as long as possible. Tom, by all accounts, um, was the only person who was considered for this role. Dr. Dan Chalice. Director Tommy Lee Wallace had this to say about his casting. Tom was already sort of member of the family, and it was Deborah Hill who suggested Tom. Not your most obvious choice. Not a pretty boy. Not a youth. But she felt that he would be nice. Different way to go, and I completely agreed. So that was easy. Elephant in the room. Dr. Dan Chalice should not in any way be a likable character. But he's played by Tom fucking Atkins, so he transcends the the god level of toxic masculinity. Dude, he literally helps, you know, with Ellie. Her dad's dead. He grabs a sixer and fucks her. (laughs) We'll get to it. In a different time, this is a different time. But even then, this had to be an irregular direction to like send your protagonist on. Um, Tom had this to say about his character. I, it didn't feel like I was a medical professional because right off the bat, I walk into my house and Nancy Loomis is my wife. And I walk out on her and the kids, have a couple of beers, run off with some young chick and head north. Okay, so we got to talk about the many exploits of Dr. Dan Chalice. So right off the bat, he he alluded to it. He blows off spending time with his children. They are are not a concern to him in the least. They're lucky he showed up at all. He's he's the definition of the the in the in uh, in the in the outdoor father. Did he like buy them like shitty costumes too? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he just gives it to them. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't get. He just does not give a fuck. Um, He day drinks heavily. In a bar. This is such a regular occurrence, mind you, that Ellie is able to find him (laughs) simply on his alcoholic reputation. Um, He takes a nap while on the clock at the hospital. I don't... I mean, I don't know how... How... I'm not a doctor. I don't know the schedules of a doctor. Maybe maybe he was working that night. I don't know. But you would think, like, maybe it might be in your best interest not to be at sleep at work when somebody might need medical attention. 
I don't know. I guess it really depends on the hours you're working. Just like a firefighter, you know what I mean? Yeah, but go home. I don't fuck. I don't know. And it's it just seemed it just seemed, uh, th- maybe in of itself it's fine, but added up with all these other instances, it's so it, it correlates. <laughs> it, it's so irregular. This dude, he has to have some kind of contract where he can't get fired because he just he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> And I bring that point up because rather than do his job, he drops everything to go on an impromptu trip with a girl 20 years younger than him that he has just met. You're goddamn right. <laughs> he, he, and he, he takes a, a six pack of Miller High Life on the road with them. Okay. Uh, real talk. Real talk. Bro to bro. If you're buying a, if you're buying a six pack, with with a, with a lady, no. Let's let's just assume that he drank all those. <laughs> what what is the motivation in this? Um, was he already like okay? I don't give a shit about this this chick's dead dad. <laughs> but, I, but but after this six pack, I'm gonna be loose enough to work my way into her slightly prepubescent panties like <laughs> fuck like this this is so sleazy but somehow it's so endearing this movie could not be made now no fucking way dude her dad just died <laughs> he has a six pack on top of his car on top of the phone as he's calling and then he just gets in there and I like to think that he he drank all of those there's, there's no way he didn't maybe she drank one to loosen her up well, I mean, as we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to her, but um, she didn't really need any. Uh, oh, she was ready. Uh, yeah, she was. She was ready for it. I, and I, I, I postulate that Tom Atkins secretes some kind of hormone that makes the whores moan. It's the mustache. It's the mustache. <laughs> he pricks. If he pricks you with his mustache, it's it's like getting uh, pricked by a puffer fish. <laughs> it just paralyzes you. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, he sleeps with Ellie despite the age gap, not and not really knowing her. We'll we'll talk about that Ooh. when we get to, to Ellie. Um, when breaking down all these factors, you have to wonder why would anyone take this role? Um, th- this just it's it's setting your protagonist up to be kind of a sleazeball. So I I, I it's it's interesting that he would take this. Um, it's backwards, but um, Tom had this to say. There are a lot of actors that have been around for a long time who cho- who choose what kind of what kind and what they do during their career and I never really had that luxury to me a job was a job and if somebody invited me to play a starring role hell yeah I'll do that I'm here as he should be as an actor um, I can't blame Tom for taking the lead role in a movie, and I think we're in agreement that there is no other human being, maybe um, Tim Thomerson, but that, that's an outlier. Uh, there's there's not another human being on God's green earth that could have made this really unlikable character so fucking awesome. Someone popped in my head, but... It, it, fill, it, well, fill me in. Who? I, I don't think it, it would work, but Burt Reynolds, man. I'm kind of I'm kind of <laughs> wanting to see this movie now. Burt Reynolds would have had a gun. That's that's the difference. Burt Reynolds would have shot people. <laughs> that gun was his dick. <laughs> way more. Th- 
<laughs> oh man, he always kept it loaded too. <laughs> he's on fucking deck. He's, he's like he's like two jacks away from a load, you know. <laughs> the difference, the difference, the difference with the love making. You would have been a little bit rougher. <laughs> it would have been it would have been two bottles of Jack instead of a sixer and Miller. <laughs> oh, that's a movie um, to see. R.I.P. Tom Tom has been nothing but complimentary about his experience working on the film, despite his its initial failure. He had this to say, When I saw it, I thought it was a terrific little scary movie in the, in the tradition, but yeah, it died a terrible death. I've done a number of films like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty obvious that Tom is a good sport, and everything that we uh, are about to do and have done, Tom Atkins related, uh, we're, we're really hoping that he you know has a good sense of humor, because... One of the segments that, that was born out of our Halloween 3 episode, but it has never really appeared on, on the podcast, is Atkins Facts, which is just a complete ripoff of the Chuck Norris Facts, but it all you know trickles back to that initial episode. So, I had the hardest fucking time compiling these, and we've done, like, there's like 115 or 116 of them, but not long ago, I had them on our Facebook group. And they had topics, and they removed the topics, and now everything's hashtags. Well, the section is there, but you click on it, and there's nothing fucking in it. So I had one of those, like, oh, fuck moments. And it took me forever, and there's some that fell between the cracks, but I was able to get some of the more well-liked Atkins facts. And uh, if your favorite ones aren't on this list, uh, blame fucking Facebook, because they kind of fucked us on that end. But Eddie, oh yes, if you'd be so kind, <laughs> would you read off some of the uh, Atkins facts I have compiled? Oh man, <laughs> if you unzip Tom Atkins' pants, big, big balls by ACDC will play. True, I've Tom, witnessed it. <laughs> Tom Tom Atkins got your imaginary friend drunk and then had sex with them. Notice it wasn't a he or a she because he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't care. A hole's a hole. After after a after six or after, yeah. <laughs> he's so fucking he's so fucking goofy drunk he can't tell. Tom Atkins was once stabbed with a knife in a bar fight. The knife died of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Anaconda was filmed in Tom Atkins' pants. Yep, and the Anaconda was a star. <laughs> if you if you catch my drift, John Boyd in that. <laughs> Yeah, John Voight. That's why John Voight quit acting. Oh, God, I don't blame him. Tom Atkins, Tom Atkins' pubic hair is twice as thick as his mustache and three times as deadly. True. Jesus Christ. When Tom Atkins has a wet dream, Freddy Krueger drowns. That's some fucking good ones. Tom Atkins lost his virginity before his father did. That's dark. All Tom Atkins wants for Christmas is a, is a mistletoe bell buckle. I think you can get that on Wish.com. <laughs> It'll take about four or five weeks. To, uh, that's the earliest. That was, was pre-COVID. It's gonna be like two months. Two months uh, on the on the minimum these days. Tom Atkins isn't impressed with the Grand Canyon. He's left with women <laughs> with far bigger holes. <laughs> oh man! Women refer to Tom Atkins' penis as Odin because it has. <laughs> It has one eye and it's powerful. It's all powerful. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> Tom Atkins thinks toxic... Only the worthy can hold it, too. That's funny, too. Tom Atkins thinks toxic masculinity is an STD. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. 
If Tom Atkins were a transformer, he'd be called Orgasmatron. <laughs> Tom Atkins thinks uh, monogamy is a type of wood. The only people listening on Tom Atkins' emerging contact information are Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. <laughs> Anytime Tom Atkins shaves his mustache, the clippings are gathered and buried with full honors at Arlington Cemetery. <laughs> uh, last but certainly not least, every time that someone complains that Michael Myers isn't in Halloween 3, Tom Atkins has sex with that person's mother, which I have seen that one pop up all over the internet. <laughs> that that uh, legit viral meme created by me and um, I, I they, see they, they they took out like your credit. Basically. Yeah, that's fine. It's it's out in the ether. That's the the best thing. But we we love you, Tom Atkins. Um, I had an opportunity to meet him uh, several years ago, and um, it just did not fucking work out. That was at um, I can't remember the name of the of the con, but it's a Lexington Scare Fest, maybe. Uh, but both he and uh, Stacey Nelkin were going to be there, and uh, they were giving Roger Corman an award. I had fucking tickets and everything, and then I got the fucking flu, couldn't go. So uh, I lost out my opportunity. But I mean, he's still doing conventions, so you know, if COVID don't get him, then maybe, maybe I will one day. Thrill me, thrill me. <laughs> The sheer amount of testosterone exuded by Tom Atkins, it's wholly overpowered. Um, and the effort to prevent the MPAA from giving Halloween 3 a hardcore X rating, well, it was wisely balanced out by a very talented and smoking hot young actress by the name of Stacey Nelkin playing the role of Ellie Grimbage. Now, she's had a surprisingly interesting career. Uh, beyond Halloween three and before it, uh, she did the Cheech and Chong movie Yellowbeard. It's it's uh it's not really a Cheech and Chong movie. They're both in it. Um, Graham Chapman and uh, John Cleese. It's sort of like a combination of of uh, Cheech and Chong and some people from uh, uh, Monty Monty Python. And it's a decent movie. Uh, Graham Chapman plays Yellowbeard. Highly I highly recommend you check this movie out, despite its reputation. Um, she was in the the made for TV sequel The Jerk Two. Did you know this existed? No. Um, I I was I knew about this um, several several years ago. I was at my parents' house and they had like a free week in a Showtime or something like Showtime or the Movie Channel, one of those like paid premium channels. And I'm like bored. It's like two o'clock in the morning and I'm scrolling scrolling through like the the database. You know what I'm talking about the. Uh, where you can look and click. I'm doing this thing you can't see with my fucking hand for a controller. Um, the like the TV guide screen, yeah. but the one that's interactive. So I'm like looking like several hours in advance, like oh my god, there's got to be something. I'm losing my fucking mind, and I see the jerk too. It's T O O, and I'm like, what? There was a sequel. And I'm like, well, I have to stay up till like four in the morning to watch this. Oh my god, it is one of the worst things you will ever see. No. You know, nobody from the original. This is this is a completely different cast, and I want to say that the guy who plays, um, Navin Johnson is the guy who was um the the dude that did magic at the Max from Saved by the Bell. I'm, oh my god! I might be wrong on that, but that's that's clicking in my brain right now as I'm like verbalizing it. Um, Ed Alonzo, is that his name? That Fuck, why bad. do I know this? That's bad. Um, that is bad. <laughs> Don't brag. 
Um, she had a reoccurring role on a soap opera, Generations, in 1990. I never heard of it. Um, short-lived, I'm assuming, but, I mean, you know, a year-long endeavor, if not more. Um, she was in the Academy Award-winning film Bullets Over Broadway, which which was uh, directed by Woody Allen. Um, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, it's something that a lot of actresses don't get the opportunity to do, is being an Academy Award-winning film. So, uh, cheers to her. Uh, Stacey has said that she got the role because she was dating uh, a gentleman by the name of Perry King. Do you know who Perry King is? <clears throat> Name sounds familiar. Um, he was uh, the teacher turned vigilante in the class of 1984. That's how I know him. Um, but Perry and her were filming a miniseries called The Last Corvette in 1979, and she happened to meet the makeup artist who was Ron Waters, or Ron Walters, my apologies. Um, years later, Walters would be hired to do the makeup for Halloween 3, and he directly recommended Stacy for the role because they had become friends, and she had a, a really innocent and just striking look about her. Eddie's unzipping his pants. <laughs> Initially, she wasn't interesting in auditioning because she wasn't a fan of horror films. Stacy had this to say, I was traumatized by seeing The Exorcist as a young girl, so I stayed away from horror films, but I got a copy of the script, and I thought, this is a great part, and I went to read it. Literally, as I walked to the door returning from the audition, they offered me the part. That never happens. So after some persuading... She reads the script. Um, she liked that character was sort of, uh, I don't know how to describe Ellie. I mean, she's she's very, very innocent, but not innocent at all. It's a weird combination of exuding innocence, but DTF, like hardcore. So, there, you know, despite the fact that this is it, stop unzipping your fucking pants. Um, there, there's an interesting angle to Ellie. Um, that I I think a lot of people overlook. It it is a more interesting character than just your typical. Well, I'm the girl in the movie. Um, Ellie or Stacy had this to say about the character of Ellie. What I liked about Ellie was she was a strong girl. She didn't give up. I liked the flirtation aspects. She went for what she wanted. Now, for better or for worse, the character of Ellie is a very sex positive, especially when you consider the age gap between her and Tom Atkins. So, let's talk about the sex scene. Um, it is... Uh, I, don't, I don't know how people felt about it in 1982, <clears throat> but seeing it in 2021 through the some, somewhat politi- politically driven correctness of modern eyes, it is a little jarring seeing a much older man and a 19-year-old girl... I mean, fuck. I mean, this isn't lovemaking. This is fucking. <laughs> That's thanks to the Miller Highlighter. <laughs> and and she she's the instigator in all this. Um, I mean, let's just be honest. I, I think eventually, uh, the Tom Atkins was gonna. He was gonna. He was like, oh, we're you know we're gonna sleep, and he's like, oh well, there's only one bed, blah blah blah. And he would have he would have slept in the thing, but later later on, like, my back's hurting, I'm coming in, baby. Um, I gotta sleep with my underwear off because my dick's so big. You know, whatever. I don't know what what his pickup line would have been, but it it was gonna happen one way or another. But she's the one that instigates all this. Um, what what are your thoughts on this sex scene? Well. There, there's a there's a portion of this, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, to where we actually wonder if uh, Tom Atkins is actually with Ellie at this point, or if he's with an android. 
man, if Connell Cochran was making like fully functional sex robots in 1982, why the fuck was he in the? If he would have, if he would have went down there and all of a sudden there was green goo, he still would have done it. <laughs> but he would. He I'm pretty was... sure that Tom Atkins has had sex with women who had, who uh, squirted green green goo. <laughs> Jesus. It's called, get, it's called a blue waffle, and it's a real thing. <laughs> That's how you get the X-rating. Uh, it, it is It is kind of a... Like, to me, I, mean, I feel like we're so desensitized of watching shit like that. You know what I mean? Just from all the years watching horror movies, stuff like that doesn't bother me. And I'm, I'm an open dude. If you're, you know, if, if as long as the chick's over 18, I don't care. If you're 50 and she's, you know, 18 in three weeks, dude, that's your business. Good for you. I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not... Uh... It's not acceptable, but it is. It does sort of open your eyes to the grossness of the Hollywood industry. Yeah, and and especially now with a lot of that coming out. Um, but you know, once I, when I watch a movie, I don't want to think about reality, I, like especially something like that. So, but, well, in Tom Atkins' world, this is reality. I have, <laughs> I have no doubt that to to this day. He's like, how old are you? I'm 17, but I'll be 18 in two days. I was like, I'll see you in two days. You know, it, we're joking, of course. But, yeah, th- this is this is an interesting sex scene. And it's one of the things that actually kind of makes the movie special because there's an age gap. I, it just, it's not your typical. It works. It's just, it's just not typical. And it I, works. And I, I like that it's different. It works for for the whole the whole thing. The whole thing that doesn't make sense is that her dad just died like two days ago, and she needs comforting. She needs comforting. I mean, maybe that maybe that's how she copes. She's daddy complex. Oh my god! It it all makes sense. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, tangent. Let's let's <laughs> take a side route. Was was there was there some abuse? Was there some oh abuse uh, with her father? I'd like to hope not. <laughs> like, did he come home from, like, being on the road from selling his f- fucking stupid mask and, like, daddy's back hurts or of it? That makes the movie darker. <laughs> so it's good. Connell Cochran was trying to... It, 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 this was... To, this. It, it, I don't know where I'm going <laughs> with this. Colonel Cochran t- took care of him. <laughs> um, oh, I've, never been, I've never been in the position to do a love scene in a movie... <laughs> Mainly because I'm not an actor, but you know, but professionally, it, no, but no one's no one's asked me. So, but I'm, my but my uh, my DMs are open, ladies. Snuckock. <laughs> no, all real, all real. Um, but it's got to be nerve wracking. I mean, you're you're trying to simulate sex, but not enjoy. It. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a weird well, thing. Yeah, well, you, you're on top of a woman, which your body's natural instinct as a man is to get hard. And like I'm not gonna like pussyfoot around like that. It's it's if you're with a woman, and especially an attractive woman like like uh, uh, Stacy Nelkin St- is, you're gonna get, you're gonna get fucking wood, man. And not only that, but you have fucking you know probably twenty people surrounding you, lighting the scene, watching you do this. Yeah, and you have to make it look as natural as possible, but be professional as possible. It can't be fucking easy on either end. Yeah, um, they the the budget they had to, they had to make a specially uh, special cock sock for Tom Atkins. It was the largest one they ever made. <laughs> it was wool. <laughs> <laughs> it had chainmail lining because it was just so rigid. Um, <laughs> um, all this being said, Stacy has time and again commended Tom Atkins for being such a gentleman. Thank thank God. Because uh, I would, I'd hate for, for it to come out that he was a total, like, you know, gross 
perv. Ric Flair. <clears throat> oh, man. I love you, Rick. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, it, but this sex scene is just, it, it's so strange. Um, uh, Stacy had this to say about Tom. Doing the love scene with Tom really stands out because that was my first and only time I've ever done anything like that. I was quite anxious about it, but it made me feel so comfortable, and he was wonderful. That is undoubtedly code for she squirted like a water hose <laughs> after the mustache ride of a lifetime. It's like a sprinkler. <laughs> all, all joking aside, horror films can be like a double-edged sword because it can make a career, but it can also derail it. Do you think that Halloween 3 hurt or helped Stacy Nelkin in the long run? Oh, thunder rolls. Uh, going to this point, was this one of her first movies? Um, I mean, she hadn't been in the... She had started in, like, the late 70s, but, but like... she wasn't, like, a lead. No. Like like this. Well, then, the only problem when you run into stuff like this is you do start to get typecast, and you know, that you're willing to do these kind of things, because this was your first lead movie, you were willing to do it, so they might put you in something else. So, yeah, it could have, it could have hurt her, especially the fact that the movie, in their minds, didn't make money. And she's in one of the lead roles that 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 also hurts her. I think you just nailed, put the nail on the head right there because I mean she continued to act, and then, I mean she took a a big break, you know, in like the nineties, and and she's doing stuff now. But um, I I don't I can't help but wonder like should could she have had a bigger career? But I don't know that this movie necessarily derailed it because, I mean, she did act fairly consistently. It just wasn't, you know, the lead in a film. And well, and, and it's hard to argue. She plays the role well. It's not a, it's just not like she's a terrible actress. She she plays the role very well. But, like, well, it all comes down to numbers in the end. And if you are not producing the numbers, they're not going to put you in that position. Now, regardless of how it may or may not have affected her career, Stacy overwhelmingly has praised her experiences working on the film and had this to say about Season of the Witch's lasting legacy. It's amazing that 30 years later, it's snowballed with all these fans, and it's become the cult classic. That's extraordinary to me. So she has good, you know, rapport with fans, and she does conventions and stuff. And I have never met her, but I actually have a small connection to Stacy Nelkin. Back from my newspaper days, I was sitting um, at my cubicle, like, you know, waiting on deadlines. So I basically have nothing to do. I get my feet up, you know, reading a comic book or whatever. And there were always people coming in and coming out, like, to get publicity photos for articles and stuff. And this, like, this older guy comes up. And he's like, hey, man, you like horror movies? Because he's looking at my... Uh, desktop wallpaper, which it was one of those it would like change every yeah. like twenty seconds or whatever. But whatever it was, it caught his attention. I'm like, yeah, I love horror movies. He's like, do you know Stacy Nelkin? And the name didn't like ring with me immediately, but I knew I recognized him. Like, wait a minute, how do I know that? And before I could even process, he's like, she was in Halloween three, and I'm like, fuck me, I love Halloween three. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's my that's my sister. And I'm like, what? And this guy's name was R.J. Nelkin, and he's a professional stock car racer, not like NASCAR, but like the uh, I can't think of the name of the series, um, but it's it's more. Uh, I know what you're talking. About. I can't think of what it's called. It's 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 less uh, it's pr- less popular, but uh, it's like the minor circuit. Something one, I can't remember what it's called. Not no, Formula no, One. No, this is stock cars, but it's not it's not NASCAR. It's whatever, but very successful driver, and um, 
he he was like, yeah, she's on Facebook. So I go and I add her on Facebook. And, um, yeah, I've messaged her several times um, for this podcast. I've never gotten a response. And that's not a knock on her. I'm sure she probably gets tons of messages. Dick so, pics. Dick pics. <laughs> um, I only sent one. <laughs> and it was it was a picture of Tom's. Uh, that's not true. Um, but, um yeah, we we would have loved to have had you know Stacy's involvement, but uh, I just want to say like I I genuinely mean this. I, out of all the women in the Halloween series, I think she might be number one on the attractiveness level for me. And if I'm just talking about horror movies in general, that scene where she's like got that that look on her face of the innocent like. I don't know what I'm going to do when she's coming out. She's got the fucking towel wrapped around her. That is the sexiest fucking uh, top five for me. Where where you rank, Ellie, and the scale of uh, Halloween women? She's top five. I have to put PJ Souls up there just because you do see her movies. That's true. And then I would also throw in, of course, Danielle Harris because it's fucking Danielle Daniel, Harris. Well, yeah, but Danielle Harris was a child in the, in the movies. Well, I'm thinking of Hot Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, that doesn't fucking count. It's still a part of the franchise. Uh, you're making me rethink it, man. It is fucking awesome. <laughs> people, people. Oh, of course, you know who my number one is because I love Tom Atkins. <laughs> who my number two is is Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I mean, I love Jamie Lee. She's she's a timeless uh, beauty. I mean, even today, quit. God damn it! Put your fucking dick back in. Um, she she's aged gracefully, and good on her for not feeling the the need to like. She's 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 aged gracefully. Yeah. She hasn't like gotten fucking Botox and like you know. As far as you know, not a, a real serious drug I mean, problem in her yeah, earlier lifetime. I mean, she she I don't I don't know if she's got tummy tucks or stuff. I mean, she had her penis removed <laughs> by all accounts, but that's that's a different story. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. That that I don't know. Oh yeah. Oh man, I'd still make love to her. Him. All I, all I can say is you could you could deep throw a clit so big. <laughs> we love you, Jamie. Lee. I would do it with a fucking smile. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've definitely put uh, Stacy uh, in in the top five for sure. I, she's she's gonna be number one for me. And I got and now you're saying Daniel Harris, and like I'm thinking about it, and like man, it's probably close. But there's just something so beautiful and angelic about her face. It's so it's just the way that she like. The expressions and stuff. She's just she has a way about her. She exudes sexuality without being sexual. That is a a wonderful, wonderful occurrence. And our likable cast hits a huge Celtic roadblock in the form of a maniacal mask maker. Wait, we got storm brewing. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> um, a maniacal mask maker. Ironically, <laughs> <laughs> bum bum bum. And CEO of the Silver Shamrock Corporation, we have Dan O'Herlihy as Connell Cochran. Uh, man, it's done tons of television going all the way back to the 1940s. He was in Rawhide, Bonanza, a lot of you know stuff like that. Man from Uncle, where he had a reoccurring role. Um, Hawaii Fovo. He was Andrew Packard in Twin Peaks. He gets blown the fuck up in a bank vault. That that resolved uh, point plot point has never been resolved. Thanks a lot, David Lynch. <laughs> um, but he's best known as the CEO of OCP in RoboCop One and Two. His character doesn't even have a fucking name. He's literally just listed as old man. But he's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, 
first things first, I don't claim to be some expert on Celtic lore, pagan ritual, witchcraft, but I do know that despite the movie's title, Connell Cochran would not be considered a witch. A he would be a warlock, but I digress because whatever this classification, he chews the scenery like a rabid dog. He's so good, but will eternally be overshadowed by Michael Myers when you take into consideration just the his status as, you know, a killer and cinematic terms. However, let's think about this. Um, in terms of body count, Connell Cochran may have murdered millions of people. So based simply off the numbers, this would give him the highest horror body count <laughs> ever. Ever. Um, but he's still super underappreciated. Um, should Connell Cochran be held in higher regard in terms of horror villains? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love his character. I love the actor and the way he plays it. Like I said, you know, a lot of people shit on this movie, but the performances you get out of everybody are really good. I I would... We're both NECA fans. We, oh, we, yes. we love NECA figures. So, I mean, <clears throat> the whole Black Lodge is just littered with them. And I, I don't have the, the Halloween 3 figures, and I'm not really crazy about those cloth yeah, figures. But, 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 but it's cool that they made them. But it makes me just angry. Like, why are we not getting a fucking Connell Cochran figure or a Tom Atkins Dan Chalice figure? Like, Because I that's what would really get my dick hard. I mean, like, Tom Atkins hard, you know? Uh, so, is this just an instance of where, like, there's not a market for, for Connell Cochran merchandise? Or is there just not a concerted effort to sort of establish him as a legit villain, or is it just no one wants uh, merchandise of an old white man? Probably all the above. I mean, it, it took them so long to really put out a Laurie Strode action figure. It took them, fuck what, came out in 2018? Yeah. They put that out? That was 40 years after the first movie? It's just, it's just a, I guess it's just a weird thing when it comes to that. Like, I would love to have more Tom Atkins. I know they released one uh, through Shout Factory or Scream Factory with uh, the Night of the Creeps, but they're they're very weird about that. Just like with the Angela they put out for, um, yeah, Night they're of the they're, they're producing such low numbers that you they're like pre order incentives and everything. And yet again, they're those cloth figures that like don't really appeal to me. But I tell you right now, Tom Atkins, that that figure, I, I lament the fact that I did not get it. But I think Connell Cochran is just an interesting character, and I think that with the proper PR, that you could you could spin something really interesting away from him. I think if you were going to do this, you would have to release it in a two pack with him and Chalice. Oh my god. Yes. I know. Fucking amazing. I'm coming. I'd make, I'd make room on my shelves. <laughs> Not for your cum, but for the action <laughs> Thank you for cl uh, clarifying. You're welcome. Um, do you think anybody else could have successfully played this role? Because I think the, the this this role could have been really cheesy if hammed up. And, and, and maybe some people would argue that that would have helped the movie. But... Uh, I have some suggestions if, uh, if one, you don't. One person just popped into my head, and I don't know how they would play it, but I think they would play it very well. It would be Donald Sutherland. I I would fucking love Donald. I love Donald Sutherland in anything. Buffy. Uh, well, to a lesser extent, yes. yes. Um, I have a few. Uh, number one, Christopher Lee. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, you're European, so he's got that great voice. Um, I thought that would be kind of a, a cool thing because he's stated that the biggest regret of his career was that he did not take the role of Dr. Loomis in the original. So, I mean, he's doing like, fuck, like some really shitty movies during this time. You know, man, and when you think about that dynamic, I, it actually, I think it worked out for everybody because I don't think he would have been a good, it would not have resonated well as him being Dr. Loomis. I don't. Oh, no, I'm. No, I'm going to agree with you. I think Donald Pleasance is the perfect choice for for Doctor Loomis, but for as Connell Cochran, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that would have been, that would that could have been really cool. But at the same time, uh, Connell Cochran is this Irish character, and Dan O'Hurley is an Irish actor, so there's it probably works. a little more authenticity in that. My second possibility is Vincent Price. I mean, Vincent Price. Yeah. That, that would have been great as well. I think this probably would have worked better if Joe Dante had directed the movie, like we were talking about earlier, and it had been a little more whimsical and a little more tongue-in-cheek, you know, wink and a nod kind of situation where you could really pontificate and talk about how I'm going to make all the little children's head spill snakes and such. I think that would be good. But as it stands, this version of the movie, eh, probably not the, the best choice. But who who could hate Vincent Price? And here's the one that's going to be controversial, Donald Pleasance. And the reason that I'm suggesting this is like if you're if you really want to throw throw the your audience for a loop that this is a sequel but not a sequel, have a character from a pre-existing movie play a different role, which they've already done, and we'll talk about that later on. Wait, there's two instances, in this? but I think Donald Pleasance. Uh, I mean. Pleasance was Blofeld in You Only Live Twice. He has experience playing over-the-top villains. He could have been terrific in this. But my question to you is this. Would this be a fun nod, or would this just have been further fodder for the people who were confused by it would be the dis- sequel? To me, it would be a, dis- a distraction even more, because they're already pissed off that you don't have Michael... Myers in this movie. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're going in on all in on it, I mean, fucking go in on in which, all in on it. Which technically we're wrong. Michael Myers is is, is in this movie. <sighs> well, yes. While uh, Doctor Dan is day drinking, um, he shows up on the commercial on the TV screen. I was going to say Dick Warlock's in this movie, but oh well, that okay, true. <laughs> Dick Warlock is uh, is the name of a stuntman, and it's also um, uh, the name of Tom Atkins' penis. <laughs> Atkins bag. Because he, he does fucking magic with it. It'll put you under a spell. That's how we got it also, <laughs> it also makes people's head explode. <laughs> All those options would have been safe bets, but in my opinion, this role could have only really been... The person who played it, Connell Cochran, being Dan O'Hurley, Stacey Nelkin had this to say about Dan. Dan O'Hurley was an extremely talented man, extremely talented. He helped me make the movie. If his character wasn't as threatening, creepy, and maniacal as he was with it, that very smooth exterior, the movie would not be what it was. And it's hard to disagree with Stacey. She was new to the acting realm, um, but... Dan had been acting since, like, the 40s, so he's like an old pro. She obviously couldn't help but be in awe of him, but on the other hand, you have Tom Atkins, who was, you know, not, you know, like, hadn't been around as long as Dan, but he'd been around, you know, since, like, the 70s, or maybe even, like, the 60s. Um, But Tom had this to say about Dan. I kind of looked up to him. I think, you know, he had been doing it a long time. Me? 
not quite as long. We didn't spend a lot of off-camera time together, and he was cer- certainly packing ammo when he needed to be as evil as he was with an Irish smile on his face. Praise for his perf- uh, performance aside, one of the more odd elements of Connell Cochran's character is his plan to tend the fields of humanity by turning kids' heads into mush via an enhanced, enhanced, or I'm sorry, enchanted hunk of Stonehenge. Okay, so this is where the the movie starts getting a little kooky. Um, his plan. Um, before we get into like the the specific uh, the specificity of it, he has this giant chunk of Stonehenge that he smuggled into the United States. How? His asshole. His asshole. It's magical. He's a warlock, so. <laughs> so, Dick Warlock. I don't know why the, I have my fucking phone turned off and it keeps making noises. Um, Dick Warlock, ass warlock. <laughs> See, it all, it all ties together. <laughs> So are we making are we making this canon that yes, he smuggled uh, he, he smuggled, smuggled through his anus? Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> they, they didn't they didn't frisk him because he wasn't he was not a per- a person of interest. <laughs> his ass did not appear to be packing a a ton of rock. It, you don't you don't really question old white man. That's all I'm saying. Uh, joke aside, like it's never explained, but come on, like th- this is the, probably the most unrealistic element of the movie. Uh, and we're dealing with like shooting lasers and shit. And uh, I feel like you could you could put this movie canon with Phantasm in a way. I fucking love that. That's the crossover <laughs> that we need. He used one of the interdimensional yeah, gateways yeah, to say, like. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's a better example than shoving it in his asshole. <laughs> Is it though? No. <laughs> oh, you made God angry by that statement. Apologies. Um, so let's talk about his plan. Just if you want to just uh, briefly overview, like what is Colonel Cochran's plan? <laughs> he just wants to destroy these kids. I I can't really think if they ever flat out say what the plan is. Well, it it's in a in a lot of ways, Colonel Cochran, his plan is pretty much the same plan that Thanos has in the Marvel films. He wants to eliminate a good chunk of society. You know, specifically it's going to be kids and preteens and stuff like that. But he wants to sort of, it's, it's the old, uh, you know, the old making way for the new, you've got to clear, tend the field. So new crops can grow. It's, it's an interesting idea, but I don't feel like the film does a great job in, in giving you motherfucker and giving you the idea of of why this is a necessity from his point of view. So um, there's also this interesting idea and combination of witchcraft and computers, which is a strange combination now, but man, the computers are are so fucking antiquated in the movie. I, I love the scene where they're in the warehouse and like, there's the big chunk of Stonehenge and there's all these, just like, a dozen computers around it, and it's it's stuff that like couldn't fucking boot Call of Duty now, you know. <laughs> it's just it's it's a it's a weird combination. Um, I'm not a parent, so I don't have a dog in this fight. But how do you feel about kids being killed 
specifically in this movie. See, when you say make make room for new fields, is like what you're saying, like new crops. Uh, would it not make more sense to get rid of the older people first instead of the younger? Yeah, ones? but the new the, uh, the the crops. The, I think a lot of the point is that the young crops are spoiled. And we have to go back to the old ways, so we've got to we've got to get rid of these shit kids that don't know. They're they're um, they're using a tool of consumerism against the the generation who will be most reliant upon it. It is sort of a subversive idea, and I really do dig that. But I just feel As like as a parent, yeah, fuck them kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, I mean it it is it is twisted, and it does draw very similar. Um, Details as of what Thanos was trying to do in the Marvel Universe. Uh, the kid-killing angle doesn't really bother me, but I think there's something more terrifying about being killed by consumerism. Uh, director Tommy Lee Wallace had this to say about using the television as a weapon. It has occupied a place in the center of every household, and we don't question it at all. Whether we should even... Whether it should even be here. Um, Tommy, Tommy Lee Wallace uh, purposely left the ending of Halloween 3 ambiguous, and he had to say this about it. My ending to Halloween 3 is a tribute to Don Siegel because that was how he ended Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Kevin McCarthy looking up into the camera and and screaming, No! So here's the million-dollar question. In your opinion, did Colonel Cochran succeed, or did Dan Chellis get the final station to stop showing the, the broadcast? I think it, it still showed he couldn't get the last one to take it off. And by then, enough damage was done. Didn't get everybody. But I think maybe it did show long enough where it did start to destroy some people and they got it cut off right then. So I don't think he fully succeeded, but I think he did kill quite a few people. I I, I don't think it's important whether he did or whether he didn't. The implication is, is the same. It's that... <sighs> We're doomed because we have given ourselves over to the mindlessness of television. I know that's kind of a weird uh, direction to take from a movie, which is a piece of you know consumer product in of itself. But it, it's it, we live in such a vapid time, and not so much TV, but just entertainment in general. It's it's so often used as a distraction from like real things. And I, I like the subtext of this movie a lot more than the, the actual, you know, straight ahead horror of it. But in my mind, if I'm going to make an, an argument, uh, whether or whether or not uh, Dan O'Hurley as Colonel Cochran was successful, yeah, I think he murdered millions of people because a good downer ending makes the movie all the all the better. Because if you're left on, oh, well, you know, the good guy saved the day, like, that's just so typical. Well, in, in, in true life fashion, it's not very often the good guy wins. So, I mean, I, I like a realist ending. Like, when we, we keep bringing up Thanos, when I watched Infinity Wars, and it had, like, the bleakest ending to a movie. And all of a sudden, when we, I left the theater, everyone was just quiet. Yeah, and it's not typical of you no. know how people leave Marvel movies. You know, they kind of upbeat and you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was such a bleak moment. So I, I yeah, I, I like the ending, knowing in my head, like you were saying, that he killed him. He succeeded. How do you think people left the theater in 1982? What the fuck was that? <laughs> That's all I can think of. Is someone just like, 
where's Michael? What the fuck's this? Why would why why did it end like this? I tried to find uh, news stories and stuff because I wanted to pull some quotes to see if like there were reports about people walking out of the movie and stuff from back then, and I really couldn't find anything. But do you think this is a movie that people would have been like? would stuck out and like, Oh, well, Michael's going to show up eventually. Or would they, as soon as they saw the commercial in the, in the bar, would they be like, okay, well, this isn't what I want and walk out. I don't, I've never walked out of a movie. Oh, I have. Well, I feel like if I paid the money, I might as well sit there and try to watch it. And if not worst case scenario, I got a great story out of it. I, uh, I just see people being pissed, man. And just like, I can understand why people were pissed off and, the ending being so bleak and being like, well, that's it. And that's how the movie ends. I could see people being like frustrated. Connell Cochran is a tremendous villain. I think we can both agree on that. Whose cinematic carnage is so vast, but let's break down our laundry list of Halloween three's victims. And Holy fuck. There are quite a few on Saturday, October 23rd, which is eight days till Halloween, Harry Grimbage, the father of Ellie Grimbage, who is played by Al Berry, who you may also remember as Dr. Gruber in Reanimator. I didn't know that until yeah. um, doing Holy research shit. for this. He's being chased, uh, chased by a speeding car. Harry attempts to hide from these <laughs> unseen forces. Very, very shittily, mind you. Um <laughs> And he's in like the back lot of a filling station. He bumps into a man in a suit. A struggle commences. And it is a last-ditch effort to survive. Harry pulls out the stopping block from a parked car, and it slowly <laughs> crushes his adversary. What do you give this kill? I'm going to give it a seven. I give it a three. I give it a seven. I give it a three. Uh, there's no blood, which makes sense when you find out this well-dressed man is a robot or an robot. android. Um, so I can forgive that. But the fact that the car so slowly, I mean, it a toddler riding a fucking snail could have gotten out of the way of this thing. As I thought it was a little um, anticlimactic. What do you, what do you, uh, why do you give it a seven? I like it. Because it's very, very slow, but at the same time, like you were saying, it doesn't show blood because it doesn't allude that these are androids yet. So it kind of gives you an idea of what you're getting into, other than them hiding behind those shitty steps. Uh, it was so bad. So bad. A little bit of trivia. This is the same filling station you see in the scene where um, they used it in the John Carpenter's The Fog. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that until... Uh, doing my fact-checking ahead of this, but uh, it's a cool, cool little connection. Number two, Harry stumbles into the office of the filling station and collapses. The gas station attendant rushes Harry to the hospital later that night. Another dapper-dressed robot enter, enters Harry's room and plunges his fingers deep <laughs> into Harry's eye sockets, which uh, um, he, bra- he like reaches in and he, like you hear the the crunch of like the ice like it's just a, it, this is a great kill. I gave this an 8 out of 10. What what do you give it? 9 out of 10. It's great. It's great to watch happen too. The great the, the thing that makes this kill work for me is the foley artist. They they just that nasty crunching sound of the fingers pinching inward and pulling the skull forward. Oh my god. This is it's makes your skin fucking crawl. Good stuff. All right, number three, the assassin retreated from the crime scene to a parked car where he initiate he he ignites himself 
<laughs> on fire by pouring gas all over his body and then lights himself on fire. A huge explosion rings out, leaving only a burnt car, some mechanical remnants of the robot. What do you give this kill? I give this a fucking eight. It's great. I love it. I love it later on when the, the, the crime scene pops up. They're like, we didn't find any bodies, but found a bunch of ma- like machine parts. I, I give this a seven out of ten. The, the what the fuck is going on moment. This is good stuff. Um, this is the point where I really get invested in the mystery of the story. And I can tell you, like as a kid, um, Halloween three would be a movie that like I would put on every once in a while. But I I don't I didn't love it as much as I do now. But if I would put it on, I generally wouldn't be paying attention until this happened. And then I start paying attention to the story. So I got to give this uh, this android suicide a little bit of credit because <laughs> it, it made me love this movie. Uh, number four, Dr. Dan Chalice is out investigating Santa Mira after curfew when he runs into a wino by the name of Starker, who is played by uh, John Terry, who you may remember as the Colonel in Return of the Living Dead Part 1 and Part 2. I didn't realize that. Holy shit, it is. Uh, he's the guy that calls for the uh, the uh, the nuke strike on uh, on the town. After giving Dr. Dan some exposition of the history of Connell Cochran and the town, Starker drunkenly stumbles into the darkness where he is met by two robots, one of which is played by the legendary Dick Warlock, um, who is not the uh, the penis of uh, of uh, Tom Atkins. That's 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 a that's a misconception. Uh, the two push Starker down to his knees, and Dick Warlock <laughs> robot rips his fucking head off. The robots stand in silence as a geyser of blood pours from the top of the neck wound before Starker's body falls to the ground. What do you give this kill? A fucking eight. I love Dick Warlock. He's so short. <laughs> I, get, I, I gave it an eight out of eight point five out of ten. Uh, why is this kill necessary? I don't know. I don't care. It's just awesome. <laughs> this is. This is literally just a kill for the sake of there being a kill. You could cut this out and it would not change the... Padding those stats, bud. Yeah. Uh, Number five. As a 50-year-old Tom Atkins fucks the shit out of a 20-year-old Stacy Nelkin, the camera pans next door to the silver shamrock salesperson named Marge Gutman, who is played by Garn Stevens, who is best known as Harriet on the Chloris Leachman series, Phyllis, back in the 1970s. Um, Curious Marge probes the tag of the silver shamrock mask, only to discover that what appears to be an electronic circuit board, as her bobby pin moves along the the tag uh, surface, it uh, shoots a blue laser into her face, blowing her mouth wide open. In agony, she writhes as a bug crawls out of her mouth. Holy fuck, what do you give this kill? 8 out of 10 partially because it was it's partially Tom Atkins fault while her face was looking that way. <laughs> uh this is a 10 out of 10 kill, man. This is this is ridiculous in the best way possible. You're watching a movie that like you're slowly realizing like what the fuck is this? Then all of a sudden a fucking laser beam shoots out of a tag of a mask. Like this is this is bonkers. Good stuff. Uh do you know who um Garn Stevens is? A little bit of trivia. At the time uh, Halloween 3 was made, Garn was married to Tom Atkins. So, yes. so literally, he, he's in the scene, he's fucking another chick. Damn. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's fucking another chick, and then right next, to, right next door is his actual wife. So. Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
and and I'm not not knocking uh, Garn, um, but uh, she ain't no Stacy Milken. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yes, he is. Um, reportedly, Garn refused to wear the prosthetic mask during the misfire scene, so a body double was used uh, to complete the scene. So on top of the fact that um, her husband is nailing a twenty-year-old girl. Next door, she was also kind of a bitch and wouldn't put her fucking mask on. <laughs> okay, number six. Dr. Chalice and Ellie tour the Silver Shamrock factory, but are cut off from seeing certain areas. One area that Ellie gets a peek of is the garage where she can see her father's cars parked. The robots, robots, I can't say it, the robots, robots, Robot. cut them off. And they leave. Later that night, Dr. Dan leaves Ellie in the motel room and tries to call the police. Of course, the the phone is out of order, so he heads back to the room. Ellie isn't there, but she's uh, but standing outside is five robots. Dr. Dan... Robots. robots. Dr. Uh, Chalice hightails it out um, the back window. Uh, he makes his way to the Silver Shamrock factory, where he is encountered by the Dick Warlock robot. They knock, <laughs> they knock the shit out of each other until Tom Atkins goes nuclear and plunges his fist deep into the gut of Dick Warlock, pulling out an orange goop of wires. It, it, gross. What do you give this kill? I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I love that you said a Dick Warlock robot. <laughs> <laughs> ten I, out of ten. <laughs> I, I gave this I gave this a five out of ten. Like this is the reveal that the antagonists are androids. And I felt like this was the the moment is cool, but the death is not that great. It's 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 all about that him and it's pulling all the hand back out. Yeah, like the, the I, I would have liked a little I don't know, a little more. Maybe some sparks flying. I don't know. It it falls a little flat for me. Uh number seven, we have Buddy. Man, it's really, really it's coming down, dude. Buddy Kupfer, who is played by Ralph Strait in Silver Shamrock's, uh, he's uh, Silver Shamrock's most successful salesman. He and his wife, who is played by Jadine Barber, and his son, who starred, uh, who is played by Brad Schrechter, are placed in a test room under the guise of being giving like some feedback on like a commercial. Uh, it just so happens this commercial will fucking kill you when you wear a silver shamrock mask, uh, which is precisely what happens to the child Buddy and Betty uh, when Buddy's head uh, turns to mush. Bugs and snakes. This is this is probably the most iconic moment of the movie. What do you give this? Ten out of ten because fuck that guy. I agree. This shit makes no sense, but it is visually satisfying. All right, number eight, number nine, and the shock of the disintegration of their child's head Betty faints and Buddy is bit by a venomous rattlesnake that has has poured from the orifice of his dead child yet again Makes no sense, but good stuff. However, after uh, the aftermath, they their prone bodies are being enveloped in bugs. It's just a great visual. What do you give this kill? Also, ten out of ten. Um, Betty's death is off screen. And you really don't see much of um, of buddies. The scene I'd give a ten, but the kill I'd give a four point five. So my big thing—I don't know if you're going to touch on this—but the the guy, the, the kid that played Buddy, grew up to be a fucking doucher because he was saying, you know, when it came up to the the subject of people watching horror movies and have taken them and using them as ideas to be serial killers, he basically chastised horror movies, saying, you know. 
these movies might turn one person into a serial killer. Fuck you, dude. It's entertainment. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. No comment. But I, I on his standing and his enjoyment or denouncing of horror films, but it's entertainment, dude. Number 10. Teddy, who is played by Wendy Westberg, tries in vain to reach Dr. Dan Chalice on the phone, but uh, all for nothing, as she is slammed to the floor by an android and has her head drilled into. She's the uh, the person at the like, I guess the coroner's office. Yes. It's like going through all the, like... He keeps calling Tom yeah. back throughout the whole movie. And it's like, hey, I don't have a body to examine, but there's a bunch of fucking <laughs> robots. some wires here. <laughs> that might be a robot. <laughs> um, what do you give this kill? I just give it a six. I gave it a five. The kill is purposely obscured, which would have been fine if it had happened earlier in the film. Yeah, I feel like all hands on deck would have been at, you know, with... with uh, and, uh, at at this point, you just you just want fucking carnage. So yeah. like, I think this would have been if you had this. Whoa, earlier in the film would have been great because we could have got a little bit of suspense out of it, and you know build build the idea of like what's going on rather than like well we know what's going on now and this is just eliminating issues. Um, the kill itself, eh, it's nothing special. I, I would have, uh, I would have loved to have seen a close-up drill going into somebody's head. Here's where we get fucking crazy. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26. Connell Cochran's supervillain monologues to a now-restrained Dr. Dan. Uh, Cochran places the skull mask on Dr. Dan's head and turns on the original Halloween film for him to watch in preparation for his evil plot to unfold. By this point, Tom Atkins has gone at least a half an hour without having sex, smoking, or boozing it up. So by sheer will alone, he's able to break free from his restraints, (laughs) remove his mask, which he flings over the camera, which I'm sure that was probably like a, a... fucking nightmare to get that shot perfectly um in pursuit of justice and just like an alcoholic james bond uh tom atkins crawls through air ducts he rescues ellie and seeks to put an end to cochran's scheme once and for all without being noticed because it's necessary for the plot to proceed uh dr dan sneaks into the control panel and cues silver shamrock the, the, the silver shamrock commercial then from the rafters, he dumps a box of those killer badges that have the micro, the microchip made out of Stonehenge, and it just shoots fucking lasers all over the place and kills all these fucking androids. What do you give this kill? It's so absurd. I'm going to give it a nine. <laughs> I, I like the idea of it, but I gave it a five out of ten. Considering there's so many that die this way, it's a little underwhelming by the sheer amount of people. But it, it is a it is a fun moment. Logically, how the fuck does he know how to do anything? How does he know how to get the commercial to play? And I don't know. There's there's a lot of connecting of dots you have to do in your head rather than. Uh, well, I, face value. I could have swore that he actually saw the video footage of uh, Buddy when they were in when they were locked up. Did he not see them? He may have, but I'm saying like, how did he? How yeah, did he? Think, how yeah. did he know to go? How did he know 
that you can go to these computers and click a couple of buttons and get the commercial to well, come it's on. Tom fucking Atkins. Fair enough. <laughs> That's, yeah, that is correct. He was actually, he was actually there last week because he was fucking some broad there. I, I'm completely unrelated. <laughs> yeah. Some other bitch died. Some other father. Some other bitch's father died, and he's like, "Man, I've been in this factory a bunch of times." He grew that mustache in a week, so they wouldn't recognize him. Um, Connell Cochran's, this is number 27, by the way, Connell Cochran smugly claps to the efforts of Dr. Dan before being zapped by the chunk of Stonehenge himself, which causes him to disappear. I gave this a 3 out of 10. Considering this is your villain and this is his death, this is this is kind of bland. Yeah, all of a sudden, the, the tall man shows up instead. <laughs> this motherfucker should have exploded. I have no idea what happened to Connell Cochran, and that really bothers the fuck out of me because... You, it's not like getting like when the androids get zapped, like uh, just doing physical damage to him. He just disappears. Does that mean he's he's now a part of the Stonehenge? Like I I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know <laughs> okay. Um, did you give your rating for that one? No, I give it a two. All right. Weak sauce. Twenty eight and twenty nine. Dr. Dan and Ellie run from the burning motherfucker. Fuck, man. Dude, seriously. I don't think we've ever done a podcast where it's thundered this much. This is this scared is, the shit out of me. That's great. That 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 the uh, jolt was was genuine. I just uh I just my buckle just puckered. Um Dr. Dan and Ellie run from the burning silver shamrock building. They make it to the car and head the fuck out of town to try and stop the TV stations from playing the commercial. There's just one problem. Ellie is an android and tries to kill Dr. Dan Chalice. The car slams into a tree, then proceeds to, he proceeds to smack the living shit out of the Ellie robot with a tire iron. He knocks her head clean off just when you think it's over. Ellie's robot hand strangles Dan comically. is like very Evil Dead-esque. Guess what? Still not over because Ellie's headless body lunges for Dr. Dan Chalice, but finally collapses to the ground. This is this is the revelation that Ellie has been replaced with an android. I'm going to infer that the actual Ellie was killed off screen after the discovery of her father's car while Dan was attempting to call the police because that's the only point that they're not together. And the five androids are out there just after that. So that's my assumption, but I want to get your take on it. Was she always an android? Was she replaced? Is this the moment she became well, one? Like, what what's going on mo- here? Most of these, uh, like, if, if you put it into perspective, like the androids that never talk, correct? I don't think they ever talk, do they? No. So she's she's been talking the whole movie. Why would she go in there and try to find out about her dad if that was the case? Just to bring in chalice for no reason so but because he was there the week before fucking somebody and they're like you know what he might know something this mustache son of a bitch we're gonna get him <laughs> fucking in my building i think i it had to have been there it had because i mean she once they get her i don't know i don't think she says anything she does not say a single word from from the the moment he rec- rescues her but at the same time like I know it's just it's the to build the twist and for it's singularly for this moment for but for a logical standpoint why does she not try, try to, to stop him, him yeah. from killing uh, Cochran? Is it because androids they don't have feelings? They, is, does this android have lust for for Tom? Lust? <laughs> She's got lust in her eyes. <laughs> 
got lust in your eyes. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It. You have to sort of overlook this for it to work. They just wanted the twist to have the twist, and I guess it works. But at the same time, it is pretty silly. Do you think that she should should have survived? I think there should have been. If you're going to go this route. There would have been a like another incident where like one of the androids or robots were outside and they went to go hit it and he the, the robot actually kills her right in front of him and he kills it and then it's too late and he's like well fuck you're dead but I have to try to stop this. Uh, I because if she lives, I mean they're both at the gas station. He's married, ruins his marriage. Okay, well my we're gonna break this into two. We'll have robot Ellie and regular Ellie. I gave the death of actual Ellie a one out of ten because, and I would give it a zero, but I'm being generous. You kill her off screen, which to me, like a kill off screen is not for a main character. No, because you have no emotion to it. Like if we would have seen her die, like I said, like that scenario I just put out, you saw her die, you're going to be super sympathetic because you've been with her the entire movie. So, yeah, either violently kill her to where it has some kind of emotional weight or don't do it at all. Um, Robot Ellie, what do you what do you give when you give this kill? It's so ridiculous I have to give it a 7. It's because it's so ridiculous. I gave it a 6 out of 10. Seeing the unbridled machismo of Tom Atkins beating the tar out of a robot lady is good stuff. So, um, Not great stuff, but good stuff. Shoo, man, with 29 kills, or actually 30, 32, no, no, 29, I'm not good with math, 29 <laughs> kills, uh, this, it would not be a stretch to infer that, you know, everybody dies in the movie, but we do have a few survivors, so let's briefly discuss our additional cast. We have Nancy Keys as Linda Chalice, who you may also remember as... Nancy Loomis. Yes, but that's who's Nancy Loomis? It's uh, was she not married to Tommy Lee Wallace? She is, but who was she in the original oh, Halloween? She was fucking Annie. Annie sorry. in the original Halloween. You're yes. setting me up here for these volleys. I'm uh, sorry. Not only was she married to Tommy Lee Wallace, she was expecting her first child during the filming of this with Tommy Lee Wallace. So he put a Halloween baby in her. Yeah. We have Maddie Norman as Nurse Agnes. Uh, she's the older nurse that Tom Atkins slaps on the ass, which we didn't mention <laughs> earlier. The, he fucking sexually harasses <laughs> his subordinates, and and they're fine with it because he's Tom fucking Atkins. If you put Steve Buscemi in this role, he would have been fired for sexual harassment. He would have he would have been, been canceled a long time they, ago. They would they would have hung him in the fucking whale, and, and he would never been fucking found. But because Tom Atkins is you know a you know a sex dripping machismo god, he gets away with it. This world is unfair. You need to Photoshop his face on the razor remote, please. <laughs> Um, uh, Maddie Norman, um, she, she was in, uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane with, uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. So, I mean, she had a very, very decent career. Um, a little bit of trivia. Maddie served as professor of theater arts where she taught black, uh, theater students at UCLA. So, well, well respected in her field. Um, and she's in Halloween 3 for some reason. <laughs> um, we have Michelle Walker as Bella Chalice, uh, a.k.a. Dan's uh, daughter who he doesn't give a fuck about. Um, would you care to, care to take a shot in the dark what uh, her career trajectory led her into? Oh, fuck. The erotic confessions 
where she played a bartender. So she's in softcore porn, but she does not participate in softcore porn. <laughs> but it's more it, disappointing. <laughs> it, it is the, yeah, is that is that better or worse? That like you're you you do fuck movies where there's no fucking, but you're not even doing the not fucking. Yeah, you're doing the secondary. Oh my god, <laughs> that's fucked up. A um, little bit of trivia with her. Michelle is the daughter of Golden uh, Globe winner Robert Walker Jr. And then we have Joshua John Miller as Willie Chalice. Um, uh, a few things. Uh, I was in the pilot episode of Tales from the Dark Side, which is a really, really good episode, by the way. Uh, it was Tim and River's Edge with Keanu Reeves, who was in Parenthood with Rick Moranis, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. He was Homer in Near Dark, and most recently he wrote one of both of our favorite movies, The Final Girls. The movie is so fucking good. Um, now, when I was doing uh, my research for this, I messaged you and I said, man, I just found out something I never knew and it kind of blew my mind. Okay, do you recognize the name? Joshua John Miller. Does that, does that ring any bells? It does not. Well, Joshua is the brother of Jason Patrick, who you may remember from The Lost Boys. And he is the son of Jason Miller, who was Damian Karras in The Exorcist. Holy shit! I know, right? Now think about this. Both he and his brother were in two iconic vampire movies basically at the same time. In The Lost Boys and in um, Near Dark. But little little kid... Playing fucking the son of Tom Atkins. That that's fucking wild. But yeah, we we love the Final Girls. It's my favorite meta slasher. Um, so heartfelt. So good. So please write more movies. Write a sequel to that. Uh, you you've got got talent, my friend. They left it kind of at a cliffhanger too. They did. I mean, they left it open for a sequel, and I think you can do some really fun things if you take the same idea and say, okay, but now we're in sequel territory, so the the rules have changed. Change. It's yeah. basically an even an even more meta scream. So like yeah, it, it, it was so good that like we watched it on Crackle for free, and then it had commercials and it still had me engaged. Then I had to buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah, the terrific movie, Eddie. I don't know about you, but after all this Celtic mayhem, I should could right now go for a drink. Ooh. So let's drink it in, man. Season of the Witch edition. Now we invite all of you out there in the Rant Army to pop in your VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, or your digital copy of Halloween Three after you finish this retrospective, of course. And play a fun drinking game by watching, you know, the movie along with all this. So you're going to take a shot whenever you see the Silver Shamrock logo. Oh, God. You hear the Sil- Silver Shamrock jingle. Tom Atkins does something that would be considered toxically masculine in 2021. <laughs> or whenever you see S- Stacey Nelkin's tits, but no nipple. Take a double shot when the commercial for Halloween plays in the bar. So that should get you pretty good and lit. However, for those of you who take your drinking seriously we also have a season of the witch inspired cocktail that i think you'll be neglecting your children and chasing some young coos in no time if you uh, want to produce so what you're going to need you're going to need two tablespoons of lime juice a half a tablespoon of lemon juice a fourth cup of simple syrup uh, two ounces of irish whiskey of your choice brand of choice uh, one tiny drop of green food coloring uh, you're going to need a lime wedge for garnish and one small bag of candy corn. So here's the directions. Pour the lime juice and the lemon juice, simple syrup, and Irish whiskey into a shaker and shake it like a Polaroid picture. Pour the contents 
<laughs> over ice and add a green drop of food coloring. Stir until the desired color is achieved. And if you want it like just a light green, you know, a little bit. And if you want it like to stain your coloring so you shit green for a week, just have at it. Just be mindful. <laughs> this will happen. Um, garnish the drink with a lime and add a few pieces of candy corn into the glass. Now, if properly concocted, you'll have a cocktail fit for St. Patty's Day, but with a Halloween twist that any witch or warlock should really enjoy. And as always, Rant Army, please drink responsibly. And make sure you turn your phone on vibrate or silent so Tom Atkins doesn't try to give you a call, because he, <laughs> he knows when you're drinking and he knows when you're awake. He does. <laughs> so, um, we have a handful of fan questions, um, and man... I'm actually really impressed with with uh, with one of these. Um, the ha- this comes from Mark Fryer. The Halloween Three experiment was a bust, but I think a lot of fans have come around to Season of the Witch over the years. It's obvious that doing another anthology movie wouldn't be good for business uh, as as far as a decision. But I had an idea I'd like your opinion on. What if someone like Shudder were to do a Halloween special every year that would continue the anthology angle? You could get Tommy Lee Wallace and maybe John Carpenter as showrunners rather than have rather than number the series. You could call it Halloween Presents, and it just says thoughts. What do you What do you think about this? It kind of reminds me of when they did was it the Masters of Horror. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of that. Um, I'd be okay with that. I, I, to me, I mean, whenever I think of the anthologies too, there's only there's always two that pop in my head, and it's Creep Show and fucking Trick or Treat. Um, but I'd be okay with that. I think it'd be fun. I think I think I'm not 100 percent sure. And Mark, uh, feel free to to reach out if you want to clarify. Um, but what I think he's saying here is basically like every year you'd have a new Halloween movie with the Halloween branding, but it wouldn't be a part of the. Si- series, but you would have maybe the the people involved with previous Halloween so movies. So literally like American Horror Story. Well, But a movie mm, instead of a series. Yeah, but every movie would be a different movie around Halloween. I don't think he's necessarily saying an anthology movie like, I gotcha. like Creepshow where I gotcha, it's like gotcha, three gotcha. different stories. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool. I mean, uh, I feel like Shudder, if anyone were to do it, it would be Shudder. But uh, I'd, I'd be down for that. Uh, from from a legal standpoint, more than likely wouldn't be Shutter because oh, AMC yeah. owns Shutter and uh, Universal has their own deals. But you know, I I, I think it, I think it would be really cool to sort of embrace. I, we need more movies that are Halloween centric that are not necessarily just Michael the, Myers. Michael Myers. Yeah. So I, I'm totally on board for that. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, this comes from Brian McKinney. I choose to believe that Tom Atkins Wiener would have known if Ellie was an android. That's not my question, but do you think he would have cared if her fat pussy was artificial? (laughs) It's a better question. (laughs) No, he would not have cared. (laughs) Would he have known? Yes. Would he have cared? I think. I actually think he would have been. He would have been fucking happy not to have worn a condom. Get those robot STDs. <laughs> That's how you got toxic masculinity. <laughs> oh, oh fuck. shit! Uh-huh. All right, then of course this question comes from Titty Flippin' Travis. Do you think all this could have been avoided if someone would have just played with Colonel Cochran's butthole a little? <laughs> he is a warlock. <laughs> That's where Ass he is. warlock. That's where he is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, head part of Stonehenge. Uh, oh man. Yeah, so you know if TSA would have frisked his butt all with me yeah. and you need to check your assholes. <laughs> who's a who's a good boy? I'm a good boy. <laughs> Oh, thanks a lot, Travis. By the way, you can uh, hear Travis uh, every other week on Wrestling Ruined. Uh, check check that shit out. That's the type of comedy you'll be getting over on that podcast. Listen, before we close up shop, I want to give a huge shout out to Lee McCoy and James Oster, a.k.a. Jimmy O, if not for specifically um, Lee McCoy. I- I'm not sure that we'd be in the position that we're in right now. He he's gave us press, frankly, when we probably weren't ready for it. And, man, oh, man, it's been greatly appreciated. So please check out his awesome Drum Dumbs channel on YouTube. Um, he also has a really great horror group on Facebook called Killer Flicks. So go sub to those as soon as possible. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you so much. And I still I still go back to Lee uh, for giving us so much credit and uh, listens to Halloween 4. He did. And that's um, a... Banner episode, you know, the juggernaut of the podcast. Fuck um, you, Tony. <laughs> I never do a podcast with Tony. You know, I thought I was like, maybe Tony will be here today, and he wasn't here. I gotta give him a break every once in a while. That's true. Um, I also want to give a really, really uh, hearty shout out to our good buddy Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com. He's got a great podcast called Sound Scary. He's also got a um, something stony podcast, to, you know. So if you if you like to toke up, he can he can abide you with some uh, some dude like knowledge. Uh, he's been a good friend uh, to the show, and he he just he chips in whenever we need him. Um, he's very knowledgeable, and even more than that, he's just a really cool dude. So James, you always have a spot here at the Black Lodge table. So thank you, both you guys so much for everything you've done for us, and I'll say this. Man, I really wanted Darcy for this episode. I wanted Darcy for this episode so bad, and um, I'm, I'm sure she would have done it given the opportunity, but unfortunately, she just has not seen my messages. And um, I will be seeing Darcy uh, this coming May. We're going to both be uh, attending the same convention, so maybe I can get her to... Uh, maybe we'll do a... a another Tom Atkins-related episode in the future, and she can spell her love out uh i actually reached out to richard ewell recently because he was at our last wrestling show and he put over ranch from the black lodge and he also put over wrestling ruin so um i'm looking forward to being there as well because i want to meet darcy and uh it is a shame like we, we love darcy so much like in like the most non-creepy way at least and, from my end and, uh, it's very creepy from my i apologize <laughs> but i can't help it she's a perfect woman N- not named elvira by the way oh, happy birthday that was yesterday. Well, heavy, heavy labor. <laughs> <laughs> At the time we're recording this. Um, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode, but we'll be back later in the month for a commentary for Ernest Scared Stupid on Rants After Dark. That's going to be just a load of fun. Uh, till then, uh, the Rants from Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcast and Spotify, so please go give us a sub and just whatever other app we're more than likely available on there as well uh you can find us on social media at rants black lodge check us out on our homepage at juicykruger.com and for the love of cthulhu go buy a t-shirt or a mug from our web store at rantarmy.com for stank dick eddie this is brennan a lane signing off till next time rant army keep marching <laughs>